Good evening, everyone. This is Dr. Blom coming from Central Texas. It is August the 13th, 2023. Thank you for joining us. We are very excited. With me, as always, excellent friend, excellent colleague, genius lawyer extraordinaire, Sean Esquire. How the heck are you? Howdy, Dr. Blom. Doing fantastic. It's a Sunday so good night. To see you. Sunday night. We're doing a Sunday night uh, pod. We're potting at you. So thank you. Uh, thank you again for you've joining been, us. You've been working all week. So this was the uh, only day. Uh... Brutal week. Holy mackerel. So everyone, I apologize if my brain is mush. It's been crazy busy this summer. And a special shout out. Hello, cheerio to uh, some new some new subs, some new subscribers, new uh, new listeners. We got some British folk. Thank you for uh, thank you for having a sense of humor. We we gave you some good natured ribbing. They didn't the listen to the last episode yet. <laughs> just, uh, skip that one, Brit. Just skip that Brit, one, Brit. Brit, Brit, Brit. <laughs> maybe maybe the July Fourth episode and uh, and post July Fourth follow up is not your your favorite in the world ever. But we are going to be eventually doing some some Brit beers and some other things, and then we have some new friends from Germany. Germany. Good and Todd, Germany. Yeah, good yeah. And, Good and Todd to our German friends. Thank you for uh, thank you for yeah. Thanks for for joining us. We're happy for uh, everyone. Uh, no more lone Navy SEAL guy in the lake in the middle of nowhere that I know of. Nope. We're gonna have a whole blog going soon. They can all just jump on and we comment. have so many exciting things. Yeah, we got a we got a web page. We're big boys now. We got a web page going. And, Is it active? Uh, so yes and no. So yes, it's active, and uh, I think we are finalizing domain names right okay. now. We got Sean an X. Esquire. Sean, Esqu- Sean Esquire fighting about like uh, kickass America high five golden eagle dot com, and so Sean, <laughs> Sean Esquire says that one's a little a little too much. Yeah. I thought it rolled off the tongue. <laughs> it rolled off the tongue perfectly. I was really excited to get that domain name. Uh, so yes, we we have our we have our uh, page up and run well it's coming at you domain name wise and then uh, as always we have our email if you have any questions comments concerns love mail no dick pics or anything like that no yeah we got a twitter going doc uh doc lawyer podcast i was gonna say at doc law podcast Mm -hmm. okay that's that's the the twitter Twitter. Mm -hmm. well x is what he's calling it now oh the new the new x yeah and then uh, as always uh any any retorts or what have you go ahead and hit us up on our email doc lawyer podcast doc uh, law podcast at gmail.com there we go doc law podcast Podcast. okay yeah it's the same one as a twitter right yes Mm -hmm. exactly okay there we go streamlining it we are i was thinking when i put this together on esquire does our tech support and uh many other uh, things that I just kind of sexual favors. I go cross-eyed. He's really good at getting all of the uh, weird dick pics that you guys send us from around the world off the email thing. Please stop doing that, everyone. <laughs> Whether you have, I don't know if you have a medical thing and you want me to chime in, just go see a physician. Or if you're just proud of your swimsuit area, then keep that to yourself. That's not, <laughs> not, not what we're into. And, uh, you know, any other uh, nude uh, X-rated stuff, that's not what what we're about guys just there's a time and a place so shut it down please and thank you and we have some follow-up from last episode last episode was out of this world there it was i almost forgot i almost forgot brits but that was the other (laughs) title (laughs) was great it was a great episode uh i I highly recommend 
uh, check out the last episode. I don't want to toot my own horn. I think we're getting a little bit better. I feel I've been self-conscious because uh, I do as immediately as I say that do the ums and the alls and hope that I'm cutting back on that. Sean Esquire gets in the zone because he does, a, he gets like a little, like a beer in him or so. Mm-hmm. And then somewhere, I think maybe I drone on about science stuff too long. And Sean Esquire just goes, I'm hitting the whiskey. And then he's like, <laughs> he is gold. He has like, you know, like Spider-Man gets the spinach. And that's what Sean, that's what happens to Sean Esquire when he gets, he transitions into the, into the whiskey. It's like, all right, we, we're blasting off for sure. So first thing on follow-up, I have uh prostate checking that Sean Esquire had gone to his doc and there's I say new guidelines from 2018 this is American Urological Association because people ask when do I have to do the uh, in mm-hmm. the in the in the test and so no routine screenings uh, before age 40 and then from 40 to 54 pretty much you just want to do high-risk people which means family history things like that 55 to 69 is the sweet spot and essentially what happens is you want to go fishing for uh, prostate cancer 55 69 because if you catch it in that window then you can probably do something about it you're not too young to do screening you're not so old that if they find something that they're just going to say eh you're you're too old to start doing chemo and stuff so 50 55 to 69 is kind of the big the big one and then even then you're not doing it every year you're doing it every other year uh also the um overall screening psa things like that 70 plus <clears throat> really not so much by that time you're you're much too old so if you're 70 plus or if you have a life life expectancy of 10 to 15 years no prostate screening no reason for anyone to do what's called digital rectal exam dres that's so you saying that once every or every other year mm-hmm. yeah so what, how often year. do they do the uh, the colonoscopies in colonoscopies start around age 45 again things things differ if you have a family history and so you know, a, a lot of things can contribute to doing it before age 45. There's a whole algorithm based on when you do it beyond 45. So you do one at 45, everyone gets one at 45, unless you have family history or something or high risk. And depending on what they find, depending on polyps, the amount of polyps, all those things, then it becomes a one year follow up, which is basically they found something very scary, five year follow up or three year follow up, kind of scary, five year follow up. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera, up to you know clean, very clean colonoscopy, and then we'll see you in ten years for another one. Okay. So that's typically how the colonoscopies shake down. And on the uh, prostate wise, um, again, the on- the only rare exceptions for seventy plus is if you're just that guy, you know, you're seventy five, you run marathons, your dad lived to be a hundred, things like that. Then I would say that might be one percent of uh, patients that I see, if that. That, that fall in that category. So lots of questions regarding when to get the finger in the backside or other backside medical events. Uh, those are those are the numbers, national guidelines, prostate ones I've got from American Urological Association. And those are, I say relatively new, those are from 2018. Uh, I like that the American GI Association went down on their screening colonoscopies from age 50 to age 45, colon cancer, pretty common. So those are the, those are the big cancer follow-ups from last episode. I have another follow-up that we we had such a great Mars episode last time regarding rovers. Uh, I didn't really have time to get into the uh, Viking mission. This was July 20th, 1976. Viking 1 landed on Mars. Uh, the orbiter 
um, was to take the picks. And then the, the lander was there. The orbiter was retired August 17, 1980. The lander made it uh, to July 20th, 1976. Uh, no, sorry. Uh, the lander landed July 20th and then made it to November 13, 1982. So uh, Viking 1 was, it got around the Mars orbit on June 19th. And then there was a secondary, like a twin mission, a twin brother mission, sister mission, Viking 2 uh, was kind of right behind Viking 1 and it entered the orbit on August 7th. So these were, these were not rover missions. These were fact-finding missions of sorts that they had the, the orbiter and the lander so orbiter kind of communicating between the lander and Earth, sending data, and then obviously the lander just checking out soil samples and and things like that, and looking for looking for sites to land. A lot of great data obtained from the 1976 mission. They um, the orbiter was something like 900 kilograms, the lander was 600 kilograms, and they uh, they found huge river valleys. So from the missions, they were able to. Well, just kind of finally nail in the coffin that Mars absolutely once upon a time had water, had great raging rivers and canyons of water. And they, at that time, they had kind of relied on the Viking 1, Viking 2 missions to say, oh, there's no life on Mars. Let's put that discussion to rest. But as of now, life on Mars remains unsolved because who knows what's below the surface, you know, 50 miles. Yeah, I mean, you know, who knows? They might have these awesome beetles, you know, from uh, what's that movie with all the bugs, the super bugs? Oh, uh, the mummy? Mm, not the mummy. Oh, I was no. thinking it was like scarabs. So who knows? Uh, you know, chuds. <laughs> make it, I'll make an awesome '80s reference for everyone. We don't know if there's Mars chuds, and if you don't know what chuds, please go look it up. Enjoy yourself. Fantastic, really campy. I love campy horror movies 70s 80s especially so the science is out on if there are any mars chuds out there okay so you're gonna laugh when you go look up chuds by the way buzz aldrin another follow-up china square what's going on with buzz aldrin these days that we had so much to talk about with him oh he's been episode. he's been divorced like four times mm, kind of he's Was been married divorced four times divorced three, three he's times? been divorced three times He's currently on tour with a punk band called the Buzzanauts. I think that's cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he plays he plays shred guitar for the Buzzanauts. That's not true, everyone. That's a joke. Uh, so Buzz Aldrin was married just this last year, and he was married for this marriage number four. So uh, he's uh, you know he's got a bad street. You know how to pick them whenever somebody has that many marriages. <laughs> just blame it on them. Right? Uh, so marriage, you know, probably he was married to the job and that's, that's very stressful, but at, at age 93, he's deciding to finally settle down for the fourth time. So he got married this last year at the age of 93. I wonder if they're going to have any kids. So many kids. Uh, his wife is, uh, Anka. I apologize if I'm not pronouncing this correctly. Anka four F A U R. She is a doctor Anka Ford. Actually, she has a PhD in chemical engineering. As you remember, Buzz has a PhD in astrobiology. No, astro astronauting, and astro. uh, that's probably a degree. So she is currently the VP of uh, the Buzz Aldrin Ventures, and he's ninety three, and she he is robbing the cradle with a sixty three year old. Dang, 
She's and a, assault- two-thirds his age. Mm, yeah, at a certain point, it doesn't matter. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you can't. I don't care if you're 63 or you're 33. You can't ignore the the tractor beam of uh, awesomeness that is Buzz. Buzz gets you in that track tractor beam romance. You're going to be wife number four. You're talking so about his eyes, right? No, just the, his eyes and his spirit. And, you know, he never. <laughs> He probably never shuts up about going to the moon. He's like, when I was on the moon, everybody's like, oh, man, this story again. Here the, we go. The old buzz beam. Peed my, peed my pants on the moon. All right. All right, buddy. We got it. We got it there. He, uh, can I say bravo to Buzz? If you've seen the pictures, like wedding and everything, that that lady, it's a pretty pretty attractive lady. That's a pretty lady there, Buzz. So, And also to Dr. Anka for Buzz's new wife. Maybe go easy on Buzz, Okay. Hips in the elderly, they're broken very easily. Bones yeah. are brittle, whatever. He's an weird antique. Sex stuff they might be into. <laughs> so just maybe, you know, an oxygen mask. Just you can't you can't have a honeymoon at ninety-three like you did in when you were thirty-three. So that's that's just solid advice for everyone out there. I bet he uses the eagle as landed in the bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> It's, he's wearing he's wearing space boots to bed, or maybe he makes. <laughs> she's wearing. He's like put on space boots, <laughs> but just so. wear the helmet. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I yeah, I think that's a hundred percent true. Is the eagle has landed? Is <laughs> he's just happy to get that eagle uh, soaring at this at ninety three? <laughs> he walks over the threshold. He's like one small step for man. It's not even it's not even his line, but he's he's claiming he's <laughs> claiming it for sure. We had alluded to briefly a TWA flight because we did some some plane crashes. We alluding to a TWA flight from 1996. We really don't have time to get too much into it, but I will say for future conspiracy covering, um, there is a theory and multiple videos and ad nauseum. Dia, uh talkings about um, that it was possibly shot down by the U.S. Navy or shot down by someone. Yeah. So I've also TWA, heard bomb. So I guess we'll have to delve mm-hmm. into that. There was witnesses that said that they saw a surface-to-air missile for mm-hmm. the TWA uh, 1996 tragedy, and also uh, I think JFK. that's. Oh, you know, well, yeah, I want to say a couple things on, on follow-up. Yeah, so JFK, I, I accidentally, I said Presbyterian, Presbyterian. I know the hospitals in the Dallas area. I've worked a number of them. So uh, for JFK assassination, it was actually Parkland. Was not, it was not Presbyterian. And I got a big mea culpa on my end, China Squire. I feel just Oh, you texted me about just, this one. Just sick. Just I disgusting. Go back to edit disgusted it. with myself. I know. I was begging Shana's choir. I'm like, get it out of there. I sound like an idiot. <laughs> Stupid idiot. People <laughs> might not know this. Apollo is uh, not the god of war. Here's the problem that I had. Oh, that I had done. <laughs> there was another one. You, you weren't even thinking about that one. No, I was, talking, <laughs> I was thinking about World War II with the Nazis. Okay, there's that. Let's just pile, just pile them on there. Sorry, that wasn't the only thing you screwed up on, Doctor Blom. It's like one and a half slips, like one word, not the not the end of all podcasts. So yeah, one of the slips was I, I think I had said Apollo, God of War, 
here's the problem. Apollo has a lot of god of this guy had a lot of hats. He was god of archery and music and dance and truth and healing and maybe medicine and sun and light and poetry and protecting the young. So Apollo and and then so he's kind of akin to planet Mercury, uh, Mars, red planet, god of war. That that makes sense. So, and then I'd like to also mention, so I said, God, I'm sorry, everyone. I really apologize that I should, I should know uh, Greek mythology, Roman mythology much better, especially just don't, just don't screw up something basic like Apollo, but Apollo did have many children, supposedly. And one of his children was Aslepius and Aslepius is actually the God of medicine. That's the, that's what we have in, in our world. Aslepius's daughter. So Apollo's granddaughter Again, I don't know if you know this. The uh, Greek gods—they had a lot of kids. They were—they uh, were very active in their, <laughs> their sexual pursuits. They, whatever they were doing, like, how does this guy have time to be god of archery and the sun and dancing and light and truth and healing when he's this—he has like eighty kids. I guess he doesn't take care of them. He's just like, "You're welcome for the baby. I'm gonna go do some archery and music and truth," and, and, and then just leaves town. I'm gonna go—he's the god of going for pizza for twenty years. So, so the granddaughter of Apollo, uh, the daughter of Aslepius, Hygieia, Hygieia, which comes, that's where we get the word hygiene from. So there's that. And one of the big follow-ups I want to talk about, well, we had some, uh, some questions, comments regarding the, uh, Buzz. Where does Buzz get his nickname from, Sean Esquire? Um, the haircut. Probably. Buzz, so Buzz Aldrin was born with a horrible deformity. He had he had buzzsaw hands, <laughs> and uh, the birth was really hard on his mom, obviously. And so, but they NASA was able to fix it, and then he didn't have buzzsaw hands anymore. And uh, that's just a, that's a feather in the cap to good old science taking care of Buzz. taking care of Buzz there. Yeah, but he kept the he kept the nickname. Also, on follow up, I would like to. Uh, mention that I said, oh, United States shot down a plane. It wasn't just uh, Ukraine or whatever. U.S. did shoot down a plane back in July 3, 1988. Obviously, famous story. This was the USS Vincennes. It's over, it was in the Ira- Iranian waters. This is during the Iran-Iraq war. People forget that we were allies for Iraq pretty much right before we... <laughs> Right invaded. before we invaded it. Yeah, so this is this is 88, right? This is leading yeah. what, 92 very, very close. Desert Storm? Mm-hmm. First, first Desert Storm? 91, 92. Desert, yeah. desert Siege? U.S. has a long history of, hey, we'll help you out. And then, uh, and then oh, now we're going to go to war with you. <laughs> so the, this, is, this is a fairly fascinating story. USS Vicenis had a nickname, RoboCruiser, because of the robot stuff that it had for its missiles. And it was blamed on a number of stuff. So it ended up launching two SM-2, this SM-2MR surface-to-air missiles. And what happened was there's this very standard flight coming out of uh, Iran. This was a very tumultuous time and area at that time because there had been a lot of mini battles, like gunship battles, nothing that would launch us into full-on war. But we were very, very close a number of times with uh, everything that was going on in the Persian Gulf. So this, this very, you know, flight, uh, Iran, Iranian flight 655 takes off very standard flight. 
and it's on its uh, ascent, right? So mm -hmm. when a destroyer or any kind of whatever Navy vessel gets attacked, the attacking airplane is descending for attack, like Pearl Harbor. So this thing was ascending. Of course, there's a lot of debate about what was done and how it was done and whose fault and everything like that. So the U.S. said that they tried to contact the Iranian Flight 655 multiple times, something like 10 times. They tried multiple channels. Hey, you know, you need to get away from us. We're going to fire on you and whatever. They never responded. So Captain William Rogers III, who I'm deeming kind of a bit of a dipshit scumbag, that uh, he he gave the order. He said, we're going to fire on these guys because they're not responding. And there's been a lot of firefights lately. And uh, that's what he did. Ended up killing 290 people on the flight. <clears throat> there were no there were no survivors. Yeah, who was on that flight, Dr. Blum? There you go. That's always a question, right? Who was on that flight? Somebody that was going to cure AIDS or was going to expose who killed Kennedy or who the knows? Yeah, big that, electric car CEO. They were like, yeah, we don't, oil we don't need taking them out. We don't need oil anymore. The guy that was going to put an end to, to the uh, oil petrol, the mm -hmm. petrol dollar. So excellent question, China Esquire. Everyone, we should be asking that. So the either William C. Rogers or the computer, they thought, oh, it's an F-14 Tomcat because I didn't know this. Apparently the U.S. had been selling <laughs> F-14 Tomcats to Iran back in the day. And then many, many years later, Iran was like, oh, we have your plane. We'll just fight you <laughs> with your plane. Eventually, Ronald Reagan, he wrote a note to Iran uh, expressing his deep regret. There was no apologies. This is very, it's very, you know, diplomacy 101 that he's not, uh, he's not coming Never apologize. Just Never regret. apologize. Yeah, he expressed deep regret in his letter. And then in the Clinton years, the U.S. again did not admit uh, legal liability uh, no formal apology, but eventually, and this is really nauseating, the U.S. gave all of $61.8 million on an ex-gratis basis uh, for um, for the loss of 290 lives. For you guys doing the math, the way it played out was something like $300,000 for all the wage earners that were on the plane and around $150,000 for all the not wage earners out of that 290 people that were killed murdered and this was the de the deadliest airline shot down until malaysia flight 17. Ah. the voice recorder and the flight data neither one of them were ever found of conspiracy course not. Sense conspiracy sense tingling conspiracy sense tingling and there were other warships in the area this is the persian gulf in the 80s right i mean there's ever since we first put one warship there there's other warships. so there were other warships there in the area there was a guy, I think he was on record for one of the other, other warships. And he was like, what the hell is Rogers doing? Why is he firing on a commercial airline? And uh, there was a huge post-tragedy investigation. And the U.S. was saying, well, it's not entirely our fault. And, you know, you got to, whenever there's a distress, well, distress, whenever there's a warning, then you have to answer. And then Iran said, oh, you weren't even using the right frequency. So it's what you would expect. So a couple things is one is obviously, like I said, the U.S. never formally apologized. Iran has a stamp. I sent Sean Esquire this picture earlier today. Iran has a official stamp, like a stamp that you send in a letter. If you ever send letters, and the stamp has the U.S. Uh, the USS Vincennes, 
launching missiles at a ascending commercial jet. I mean, the flight 655 for Iran. Iran has this stamp. It is crazy, crazy fire. bonkers. Yeah. It, it's it's crazy to see that, that they said, oh, yeah, the U.S. Uh, murdered 290 people and they want to blame it on the robot or the computer or the fog of war, whatever they want to blame it on. Here's a, commemor- here's a commemorative <laughs> stamp. Um, the other crazy follow-up on this, nine months after the death of the 290 uh, people, March, so March 89, William Rogers III, his wife, so she's taking the minivan to go run errands. I think they lived in San Diego at the time, San Diego area. And so she's at a stoplight. The minivan that she's in catches fire. And the reason why is because a pipe, a pipe bomb had gone off. So there was an attempted, the, and the minivan was registered in his name. So there's attempted murder on this Navy captain who had, you know, mistakenly shot down 290 people. There was a bunch of reports that they said that there had been some Middle Eastern guys, suspicious suspicious Middle Eastern guys in the neighborhood leading up to that pipe bombing. And no one was ever arrested. No one, there was no follow-up from FBI or anything like that. So pretty certain Iran sent some people over and they said, hey, take care of this this guy that killed 290 people, William, William C. Rogers III, uh, accidentally almost killed his wife. Thank God it was a crappy pipe bomb and zero arrest. So wow. that is that I had said, oh, I'm pretty sure the U.S. have shot down at least one. So there's that. There you go. All right. Time for my favorite. hey there it is. Look at this, Dr. Blum. Good gravy. Sean Esquire has got himself a Paul Loner. Paul Loner? Paul Loner? Paul Loner. Oh, which, okay. We I know last week we said we were going to drink uh, a British beer to i guess send a a, i don't know no no hard feelings a peace offering over to the peace peace offering of olive olive branch via beer thank you for um, thank you for having a good sense of humor i went to this grocery store and they had one type of english beer um and I, I made a stupid mistake first that I'll tell you after so I don't sound so stupid to all of our listeners. But I'm looking for an English beer, run across one. It's like, boom, number one selling beer uh, in England. It was a beer called Old Speckled Hen. And I was like... It's a very, it's a very British name. That's it's very British. That is very British. Certainly this Old Speckled Hen. Okay, it's UK's number one premium ale brand. It was it's it says distinctive English pale ale, smooth and refreshing, bursting with flavor. I I burst bursting. Come on, that's a little. I opened how, how one, bursting how bursting with flavor was it? It made a funky noise with the can. I thought the beer was flat. I tasted it and I was like, "This is bad." I I can't even Did- drink it. Did it have one of those weird, like, shaky things in it? Botting tends is like that, right? They put like a, like a whatever pe- can or something pellet it's... thing in it. The, the fresh, the freshenator pellet, whatever it, it is. It probably had something. Whatever it was made the beer taste like sh- crap. Yeah, like <laughs> trying to keep my language down. Um, so I'm sorry, Brits. That is not a good beer. You should, you should find a new number one premium ale brand. So. 
I went back to the store and I found this, this was it Polliner Oktoberfest beer. So I guess it's their Oktoberfest, uh, the original from Munich, uh, brewed in Germany. Obviously it follows the, the purity law, like any good beer should. So love that purity law, love that beer purity law. It came in a liter size can with a giant glass stein. So, ah, oh, man, that stein is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Look at that. This is, so it's an Oktoberfest, but do they, does it specify October blonde or that is a fantastic stein. That's a giant. Sean Esquire has this giant stein, glass stein, gorgeous. Beer looks great as well. A little on the blonde side. Yeah. Is it, what is the what is the make and model of the of the Oktoberfest? It doesn't even say. It just says Polliner Oktoberfest beer. When I went to their website, it did have like a specific tab for this beer, but it didn't give me any information on it. It doesn't look like a wheat, so it looks like a pilsner to me. But I guess I'll see it's, what the flavor looks like tastes like. A little pilsner, pilsner ish. I've got this week. I am also, also, by the way, I want to tell everyone Oktoberfest, great time of year for the beer. Very rare for me to have an Oktoberfest beer and not like it. It would have to be very blonde or very hoppy. Very rare for me to meet an Oktoberfest that, uh, that I don't like. For myself this week, I have Texas Tried and True. So I, I have a, Sh- a Shiner Oktoberfest, which I had gotten last week. But I, do, I don't want to review more than one. This one's fairly new to me. I think I've had it before, but obviously it's been a while. Altstadt. Alt, oh. Altstadt. A-L-T-S-T-A-D-T. This is a Texas beer. It's from Fredericksburg, Texas. However, it's immersed in German history. And yes, it does have Texas Hill Country water. But it's German hops, German malts, and yeast. So... This is, they say, immersed in German history. It's like in the spirit of Germany. Hmm. I am rocking, I am rocking a good 5.9-er. I got a 5.9-er percent over here. Okay. Square, what do you... Mine's a six. Uh, I'm reading the back of the can here. It says mm-hmm. the contents of this special one liter can provide you with a special opportunity. The brewers of Polliner invite you to enjoy what attendees at the Munich Oktoberfest experience in the tents at this world famous event. Polliner Oktoberfest beer, the number one Oktoberfest beer in Germany, whose legend, Ooh. whose legend is almost as big as the event itself. Reminds oh, please you have a journey. Is there a, a journey? Please tell me there's a journey. A, a bit of October sunshine, flavorful and golden. The locals call it liquid gold. So while saying Prost in the famous tents on the grounds in Weissen, where Oktoberfest takes place with friends and other beer lovers from around the world is the preferable way to experience Oktoberfest. This once a year beer will allow you to join the celebration right in your own backyard. Yeah. So yeah, 6% um, contents, one quart. So that was a a six pack. It says no, it came in a one pack. One giant a, can, one giant can, and one awesome and a, glass it stein. Came, it came in the stein beer mug. Yeah, that is a that is a that's money well spent, my friend. So yeah, um, again, if y'all could put these in six packs, same price point, just 
six large liter beers. Sean Esquire wants all the beer companies to give us more bang for no buck. Or port. Yeah, exactly. Germany's just ripping us off, man. My uh, my Oktoberfest is the style is a Marzen, which I'm a huge fan of. Marzens are Martians. I feel are like they're very interesting. M A R Z N and the A, oh, as far as I know, the those Z. are um, so What'd my you call family. Cods, Marzens. They. You said there was a horror movie with the Martians. Chuds. Chuds. Well, they're I I don't know if they're Martians. They're under they're underground, so okay. I, that's what that was the joke. There. Martians and Chud, Chuds is an acronym, and uh, we're we'll have to cover Chuds at, uh, at another episode. For now, I want to talk about my Oktoberfest. Oh, yours the, is Oktoberfest too. Correct. It's it's from Fredericksburg, Texas, and I believe Fredericksburg, Texas has one of the bigger Oktoberfest, like the actual Oktoberfest. Uh, again, I am a huge fan of Marzins. They tend to be fairly close to ambers, and in my experience, not too heavy, not too, not too light. This is the classic German Marzen style, originating at uh, at Oktoberfest. Mild hopping complements the rich combination of Pilsner, Vienna, and Munich malts, which give this brew its beautiful light copper color. Liedernhosen not required. Giggle snort, giggle snort. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's great. I'm going to have to start doing and, some like hand exercises for these steins. Man, there. that is serious. You're going <laughs> to have to get rotator cuff repair after that. I've got a cool, I got a cool label on my end. I got two. It, look it looks like German. W- the writing. Werewolves. There's like two werewolves in there. And then they are dancing around this cup kind of thing, like a giant cauldron, maybe like okay. a giant cauldron. Oh, there's it looks like there's a knight on the inside. So the knight lost to these two werewolf looking guys. Okay. And there's uh it just the label says Oct OKT. No confirmation on if this got the Germany purity seal of approval. I'm gonna say yes because uh oh wait, hang on. Scratch that. Allstep Brewery. Brewery. These traditional beers are handcrafted to old world standards inspired by the Reichen Heistabach. I butchered that a lot. The German purity law established in Chen Esquire. What, what year is it like? 1536 or something? So close. 1516. 16. Okay. Yeah. I, often, I often forget. Not a lot of laws from 1516. Which, that we that should be easy to remember. Day. It's just 1516. Yeah, I'm going to forget it. Okay. Uh, they only use 100% natural imported ingredients and pure Texas spring water to deliver the supreme drinkability, smooth, crisp flavor you expect. Of course, you, you better expect it from the German style beers. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Pause for effect. Only brewed right here in Fredericksburg, Texas. Come on, man. It doesn't That's say the, come on, man, but the problem, the problem. For those who don't know, isn't that the largest German town in Texas? Mm, New Bronzeville. It's if it if it's not maybe it's like a per capita thing. In Texas, there were huge German settlements way back in the day. And well, so New Bronzeville is one, Fredericksburg, uh, I'm blanking on some of the other ones. San Marcos I think has some pretty big Oh, come on, Pflugerville. Pflugerville's oh, up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, some other ones, but people, I don't know, 
I don't know if, uh, if everyone's familiar with this. There's so many Germans that settled in Texas back in the 1800s, early 1900s, that there were some towns that had the Nazi flag flying before the war broke out, that they were just trying to honor the home country. Oh. And unfortunately, there were some people that left Texas to go back to fight the war because the Germans had, you know, they talk about it on Band of Brothers. I can't remember the name of the law, but they basically had this this call you back home, fight for the home country. That, so you're living in the U.S. and you're happy and you're, you're doing American stuff. And then Germany's like, oh, you got to come back. You know, we're going to, we're going to war. I feel like I didn't get um, the letter. Yeah. Oh, I lost <laughs> that one in the mail. So... Allstadt, Alt, Allstadt, fantastic, not too heavy, not too light, five stars, we'll drink again, uh, again, I love any Marzins. Good job, Germans. I'm, je- I, I'm, je- yeah, I'm jealous, I'm jealous, I'm jealous of, uh, well, five star for your German purity law regarding mm-hmm. the beer, your other purity laws, maybe pump the brakes on those, and I'm also jealous that Sean Esquire got this really cool, kick-ass, giant mug on giant glass mug on his you know what and actually i'd like to thank the brits for that because had their beer not been that terrible i wouldn't have gone back and found the polliner munchin Hmm. gotta kiss a lot of frogs sometimes so thanks brits Brits, i had i again i'm doing a attenuated mea copa brits i had promised getting beer i'm sorry it's a crazy busy week I will probably go with the Boddingtons as soon as I can. I, I haven't had a chance to make a make a real deal beer run, or in terms of getting beers that I don't already have. And um, if if any of our British friends have recommendations, I'd love to hear it. Hey, absolutely. I don't know if you know this or not. America, not every beer that we have is fantastic. So Sean Esquire had the Speckled Hen, and that might be common knowledge that 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 and maybe that's why they're shipping it over here. They're like, just send it to the U.S. They'll probably. <laughs> They'll probably drink it. It's my yeah. British accent. So, we, yeah, we'd love to hear from British friends or, or any of our other friends from around the world regarding your beers. Happy to happy to try them. Happy to put them on the list. Again, I apologize profusely to British friends. I will be trying a British beer while well, I say trying. I've had Boddington's many, many years ago. That's kind of the main one I know. I'm just not a big hoppy guy, the IPAs and all that. So I shy away from those. I, if British friends... If you want to write into our email, doc lawyer doc law podcast, podcast doc law podcast dot gmail at gmail.com yes, at gmail at gmail. Dave is please, figuring out how the emails work. So yes, it's I I'm, I'm, I'm a texter. I'm a, I'm a text guy. Yeah, you send me an email. I'm like I'm not L A W podcast dot at gmail.com. Ah, uh, that's really streamlined. That's a good one, man. I'm glad you. I'm glad you did that. Not you didn't make I'm it all. I'm throwing this out there on the on the Twitter too, or the X. What's the best British beer you can get in the United States? There we go. So, the gauntlet has been thrown down. British friends, doclawpodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on the formerly X. known as Twitter, now known as X. There we go. We're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, big big things. Actually, uh, yeah, let's take a quick break and then we will we'll be knocking out. Big, big, big thanks, Dave. We're super excited, everybody. Hello, everyone, and thank you for coming back, tuning in to A Doctor and a Lawyer Walk Into a Podcast, August 13, 2023. We had just wrapped up some beer talk, and I wanted to do a preemptive mea copa so I don't have to cover it next time. 
Chud's this great uh, movie from the 80s. Cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers. There's, I think there's a part one, part one, part two. And I think part one is one of the first appearances of John Goodman ever. Cannibalistic oh, humanoid my- underground dwellers. Yeah. <laughs> so we won't have to get into that too much, but I highly recommend, especially anybody that you like horror movies, you like campy horror movies. I do. I love it. So that's what Chud's is. Sean Esquire, you have this amazing meal of the week that I saw, which was yeah. holy mackerel. Sean Esquire you know, is really giving uh, what's his name, the British guy, uh, run for his money. Oh, uh, the Hell's Kitchen guy, Gordon Ramsay. I yell all the time. I'm always yeah. yelling. Right. That guy. Oh yeah, this would have destroyed it. I did a whole rack of lamb last night. Did some homemade mashed potatoes. Ran them through the sieve. Get all the the larger bits out puts you know a whole like pound of olive oil for my doctor if they're listening and uh put the rack of lamb i did um like a kind of like a chimichurri so you know it was parsley garlic shallot uh, pepper salt but i did add a splash of like Worcestershire sauce and like a handful of sunflower seeds pureed it all and then after i seared my rack of lamb coated it with that finished it in the oven while i finished the potatoes and then did a red wine reduction sauce on it turned out phenomenal sunflower seeds yeah just to add a little crunch to it because the actual recipe called for pistachios and i forgot to get them Uh, i don't like pistachios so I went with, they were just dry roasted sunflower seeds, no salt, but just to add a little crunch to the, the texture of it. Lamb is out. tough. Lamb is tough, man. It's it's really tough to not get into that gamey realm, yeah. especially rack of lamb. Yeah, so you, you can't overcook it because it'll get tough. It's really, there's a sweet spot on lamb and it's really hard to hit. It's very easy to undercook and it's very easy to overcook. It's naturally red, so it yep. constantly looks like it's not cooked. And then you get you get to that real fine line, and you can go. I've I've done lamb a handful of times, and I've had one or two lamb disasters, lamb lamb disasters. <laughs> and I like the mint sauce, and I've I've uh, I've done the uh, oven. The... Yeah, you mentioned the lamb or the uh, the mint sauce before, and I think mm-hmm. my my buddy said that's more of like a a European thing, um, more so oh, you, than you, you were going Middle Eastern. I was just, I don't know. I found this recipe and I, the guy's probably Middle Eastern that made it. I don't know where pistachios come from, but it turned out really good. Okay. And the plating and was phenomenal. So you did, so you seared them like in a skillet and then you put them yeah. in the oven? Yeah, okay. seared it in the skillet and then um, put it on the tray, put it in the oven at like 250. So I just slow cook it to get to like 140. And then um, it was good to go from there. The uh, the pan, so once I got done searing it, that's when I put my shallots, I put more shallots, garlic uh, in the pan just to kind of stew down and then scrape the bottom of it with a wooden spoon, get all the, you know, the good tasty bits from the oh, lamb in it. Yeah, that's the and good then, stuff. And then pour your, your red wine in there. And then I put some thyme, some basil, uh, a couple of bay leaves and just, you know, boiled that down and then uh, thickened it up a little bit with some cornstarch and it was great. No, no real marinade. This is all just like no. out of the, 
out of the package have at it? Yep. I actually did my tapioca on it. Okay. Your tapioca cornstarch. Just to kind of, uh, to dry it out to see if I get a crisp on it, but it didn't really seem to have much of effect. So you do your your tapioca cornstarch before you do anything else, just kind of get it like a, like a dry rub sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Just to dry the meat out. And then, and then skillet time and everything else. Yep. Okay. And then just regular potatoes, not red potatoes. No, just regular russet was that potatoes from Idaho. Classic. And then uh, I don't know right. if it, I don't know if it's a psychosomatic thing or what. I feel like red potatoes taste better. I I think probably if you just serve them to me blind, that they would mm-hmm. taste exactly the same. But I'm also I tend to be a leave the skins on kind of guy. Okay. I think yeah, my well, dad, my dad, or someone when I was a kid, they, and they, I was like, I don't want the skin. I said, the skin's good for you. It would get put hair on your chest or whatever. You know what, what, <laughs> what, dad, what dad say back in. So ever since then. I have the, hair on my chest. For the most part. That's probably from the potatoes. Yeah. yeah. So, and again, I am not big on carbs, but every now and then live life. Got to yeah. live life. I say, I say that and got to, going to probably have some pasta in the next day or so. So listeners, Sean Escar sent me pictures and it is gorgeous. That is that is five star food porn one oh one. That is magazine. And also if if you're new uh to the program, Sean Esquire is not just an excellent cook, but he goes the extra mile with the plating and the lighting. I'll send him stuff sometimes like, oh look at this awesome thing I made. It's delicious. And he's like the lighting is bullshit. <laughs> like it just <laughs> I was very proud of myself. Like look at this awesome salmon i made some i did uh, i did this uh steaks on the grill sort of thing china squires <laughs> oh lighting is bullshit <laughs> so <laughs> you can't if you, if you get involved with swapping out cooking tips whatever with sean esquire just make sure you gotta do the whole thing the presentation i never think about the presentation i just think about like it's gonna be delicious it's kind of china squire china squire hasn't imposed this whole new dimension this whole new obligatory thing that I have to get into and I go, wait, 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 before I send this picture to Sean, I need to make sure, <laughs> Hey, Hey crew, can you bring in the lighting over here? Everyone? Let's, uh, let, yeah. So I have a lighting crew now, whenever I send him a picture of a burger I made on a grill. There you go. Hmm. Make you better. No, uh, no, no greens, just the, just the lamb and potatoes. That's it. Yeah. No greens okay. yesterday. No, that's, that's all so, you need sometimes. Yeah. Fantastic. Do you, uh, any food meal of the week for you this week? Not, nothing crazy. I was, I was so busy with, uh, with work stuff. It's just been, it's been bonkers this last, uh, this last month. So nothing crazy food wise. And, uh, I'm still, uh, still just enjoying my all stopped mm. Oktoberfest and everything else. Yeah. I'm about a third way through this beer. No, so. that looks, that looks really, really good. I'm trying to think if, if I've ever gone for a, uh, for lamb outside of the, I feel like the mint is kind of like peanut butter and jelly. Like you're not gonna have a peanut mm-hmm. butter sandwich unless you're, you know, like a suicide death watch on prison or something. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I'm trying to think lamb rack of lamb wise. Do I ever get it without the, the mint sauce, the mint, the mint thing? I don't think I do. If I have, I, I don't remember it. Oh, well now you're gonna have to do it. Okay, good. Moving forward. Did the King of England just show up? No. You know what time it is. 
it is time for this week ish in history. In history. We, we are running behind because of summer things that we've spoken about. So it's not an actual week. It's a little bit more than a week. But yes, we were ready to cover some amazing history stuff. And right out of the gates, Sean Esquire, what do you have on your end? July 28th. Thank you 19... for being ready, ready for the music. <laughs> July 28th, 1914 was the start of World War One. Mm. Also known as the Great War. The war to end some stuff. Yeah, so there were some countries already aligned with each other in Europe, some countries aligned with each other throughout the world. Um, there was this man called the Archduke Franz Ferdinand, which I assume the band was named after. Um, he was assassinated. Uh, he was the Archduke of Austria at the time. His murder catapulted into a war across Europe lasting four years until 1918. So you had Germany, Austria, Hungary, Bulgaria, and the Ottoman Empire. They were the central powers fighting against Great Britain, France, Russia, Italy, Romania, Canada, Japan, and the United States. Uh, the allied powers. Japan and the U.S. were on the same side. On the same team in this war. Where was um, where was Russia? I'm sorry. They were Russia, also with the Allied powers. Because Russia had just had the assassination of their royal family, the Nicholas folk. Okay. Right. Wait. Sorry. I, it didn't cover but, that when I was reading. Right, but maybe. No, I'm just. I'm just, sometimes I get you know. So. In med school, when you do anatomy lab, you look for when cadaver lab, you look for these big organs, and then you uh -huh. can get a, a land map and say, okay, well, that's the liver, obviously. Uh -huh. So then that, and then you have these smaller things. I think I tend to think of history like that. Like if I can get a seminal event, then I say, okay, that was right around the time. Anyway, I'm going, I'm going off there. I'm sorry. Well, I get, I get confused on World War One because in my mind, this one dude got killed, and then some people jumped in. And then some more people jumped in, and then it was like, oh, we're World War I now, and, and there we are. Well, so this war actually saw huge levels of carnage. By the end of it, uh, so four years of war, the Allied powers won, uh, but more than 16 million people, soldiers and civilians, were killed during the war. Um, a number of alliances involving the European powers the Ottoman Empire, Russia, and other parties that existed for years, but political instability in the Balkans, particularly Bosnia, Serbia, and Herzegovina, threatened to destroy agreements that had been made. So the spark that ignited World War I was in Sarajevo, is it Sarajevo, Bosnia? I believe the, right. J, the J is pronounced as a Y, but that's when... Uh, Franz Ferdinand, heir to the Austro-Hungarian Empire, was shot along with his wife, Sophie, by the Serbian nationalist Gavrilo Princip. That happened on June 28, 1914. Uh, Princip and other nationalists were struggling to end a Austro-Hungarian rule over Bosnia and Herzegovina. It set off a the assassination set off a rapidly escalating chain of events. Austria-Hungary, like many countries around the world, blamed the Serbian government 
for the attack and hoped to use the incident as justification for settling the question of Serbian nationalism once and for all. So Serbia started World War One. Thanks, Serbia. The important thing is that Serbia and that whole area completely stabilized and safe and free and oh, yeah. no turmoil now. They just kind of they kind of got it worked out about a hundred years ago. So same thing, Middle East. You know, they had they had a couple of hiccups, a couple mm-hmm. of speed bumps, a thousand year old war here, a thousand year old war there, and then now safest place in the world. It's good totally to go. right. I, I apologize <laughs> uh, on our on our. Um, Russian history friends, I don't think we have any Russian friends, uh, Russian history friends that the royal family was actually 1918. Okay. Was, uh, so yeah, that was the end of the World War. Yeah. Yeah. The- but they, so they were there at the uh, at the beginning. The interesting thing for me, and again, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I am not a World War One buff. I've seen a couple of documentaries and holy mackerel, now that you mention it, have you seen the uh, the documentary "We Shall Not Grow Old"? Do you know that one? I have, I have not. Yeah, it's so Peter Jackson, the guy that did the Lord of the Rings. Okay. And and so he took all this uh, old old footage, mm-hmm. and he got it colorized and everything like that. And it is just it is amazing. Regarding, everything. I've only ever seen one movie on it. Was it Dunkirk? It was. I think so that Dun- was World War One. Dunkirk was World War One. I'm sorry. So. I'm sorry, European everyone, and we're, we we're not a uh, we're not. World sorry War I to experts. all our World War One vets listening. Do you, do you know the story? I know. I do know the story of the assassination. They, I mean, one thing we joke about is that I the, the names get very jumbled in my head because they're very Eastern European. These are like mm-hmm. Eastern European. They're there's a lot of consonants involved on in those names. You know. It's, if your name was like, oh, Roy Francis, he shot Franz Ferdinand. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll yeah. remember that. Yeah, but but it's not. And so one of the guys, he he uh, he had he ate a cyanide capsule or whatever, and then he jumped in the river and he did all these things, and he lived through all that. The cyanide was was expired, and the river. He's like, I'm gonna kill myself. It didn't he, work. Jumps, he jumps in the river, and the river is like only six six inches deep. <laughs> <laughs> that was a real thing that whole that whole team of guys that that they had got together and said oh we're gonna assassinate the uh the duke what is he mm-hmm. what was uh, his, his archduke franz ferdinand archduke not a regular duke i don't know if he's a, is an archduke better than a duke they curve <laughs> there's a is there a learning curve there's like a curve like it's, on exams yeah. in college <laughs> so yeah that whole team that, that got together to take him out. There was a series of mishaps and uh, there was like a, the one guy had kind of talked himself out of it and he was not going to do it and, and everything else. So that's my understanding. And again, I apologize profusely to our uh, fellow historian friends. There's, you know, sometimes when you fall in love with history, there's things that you fall in love with more than others. And you kind of get sucked into World War II, Vietnam, things like that. And then World War One is on the to-do list. And then, you know, 10, 20 years goes by and you're like, eh, something about Franz Ferdinand? But, <laughs> right. So I do I do know about the series of mishaps leading up to the actual murder, the actual assassination. And then the other thing that I think is very interesting on World War One is that this was a war that started with regular 
you know, what you would think up until that point. So horse, horses, like when you say conventional war, capital C conventional war. So World War One started with horses and, you know, they, they even had, you know, bayonets, things like that going into battle. Trench, trench warfare. This is trench warfare yep. 101. There was mustard gas. There was a number of things from World War One that had basically made it into the Geneva Convention where they said, hey, nations of the world from now on, we don't, don't do, use this. we don't do mustard gas, right? So the U.S. was like, I mean, and again, here we go for foreshadowing. Hey, we'll do some atomic bombs, but we're not doing mustard gas. We're not monsters, for God's sake. So <laughs> World War One's very, very interesting to me, even though, again, I haven't put the time and energy into it. It is the last of the wars that really, when it started, it was pretty Spartan in and of itself. And then by the end of it, they had they had mechanized tanks, they had real deal machine guns, they had uh, flight. This was the war that you really they started the uh, the air force and everything like that. Real when you think about modern war, warfare, World War One was really the start of all of that. In the beginning of the war, people were going into battle literally on horses. And you see the old footage of the trench warfare with Germany, France, Europe, that whole area. There's piles of bodies, but there's also piles of horses because they were rolling in a battle with horses. And and then in the midst of World War One, they came, they literally brought out tanks and they said, hey, we've got these things called tanks now. When they first brought out the tanks, they had tarps on them so they wouldn't you know reveal their new secret weapon, whatever. And then word got out that they were tanks. The soldiers thought that they were talking about tanks of water, like giant tanks, because obviously water was a... Cleansiness was a whole issue. Tanks were a whole issue. If you go back and read about all the trench, they had rats, rats in the trenches and all, all, all of that. So in terms of just the huge leap from what war was early 1900s versus planes, tanks, full, full real deal machine guns, that's the war. It was huge, huge leaps regarding how many people can we kill in one day? Right. Well, that was a great war. Four years, 16 million dead. I have to think how many of those were from diseases and all of that. Probably, yeah, not good medicine, not good techniques to save people like we do now. Well, because when you think about, you know, uh, Civil War, for example, was not that far before World War right. One. They were doing, you think about Civil War, they say, uh, what do you call it, um, battlefield medicine. Mm -hmm. And you would just give the dude a belt and say, hey, bite down on this. I'm going to saw your leg off with no with nothing. <laughs> yeah. So, there was, you're not, World War I was not that far removed from the Civil War that they were basically doing a lot of that, you know, very, very similar. Yeah. So in that regard, I also have to think, when you when you talk about those huge numbers, the millions and millions, how much of those were post gunshot infections? Those those trenches that they lived in were covered in every horrible bacteria that you could think of. Yeah, probably not real clean. Not a not a lot of clean sheets and toilet paper uh, going back. But I but I do highly recommend watching that documentary. We shall. I think it's called "We Shall Not Grow Old." I'm sorry if I'm if I'm uh, if I'm butchering it. I watched it not that long ago, 
Sorry, he's gotten old. He forgot. Yeah, well, you know, oh, the <laughs> brain is brain is mush there. Yeah, that was that was uh, Peter Peter Jackson, same guy from same guy that did Lord of the Rings, and he won multiple awards. They shall not grow old. You not we we're not included okay. in that. They, they shall not grow old. The documentary about World War One. My deepest apologies to everyone involved. Uh, highly, highly recommend it. I watched it not that long ago. They colorized footage from World War One, and it is visceral and terrifying in its own way. And the I remember distinctly the interviews from the Brits, just how insanely British they were. When mm-hmm. I say British, this is these guys. They said, "Oh, we had a job to do." And, and we did it. So he's like, oh, well, you know, my friend was next to me and then he was blown in half and I just kept fighting. And this is like, when they, I, I joke about stiff upper lip. This was like man's man, but they just had this very polite gentleman British thing about them. And this is war. This is their friends are, they're getting mowed down by uh, German, uh, German uh, machine guns and everything. So highly, highly recommend. It's just absolutely gorgeous. The, like I said, they remastered the footage and everything. So fantastic and really jarring, jarring and, and brilliant in, in every way. All right. They shall not grow old. I'll check yes. it out. Not we. I'm sorry about that, everyone. Not we. Uh, what do you get here? August 5th. August 5th. Oh, boy. I am going to not spend a lot of time on this because, number one, it makes me furious from head to toe. And number two, we, we have happier things to cover. But August 5th, 1861, this is the Revenue Act of 1861. This is from Lincoln. And this is taxes, everyone. And if you know me, if you know anything about the show, anything, I hate taxes. I am very, very libertarian in many ways, but especially when it comes to taxes. We live in a country that was for, that was started on a tax dispute. And I, I don't know what happened to our country that we've lost our way regarding income tax and property tax. And there's a tax for you to drive your car. There's a tax for you to, you, if you live in a house, you have to pay property tax every year forever. There's taxes on booze and there's taxes on you name it. This country has gotten out of control. And I think, and I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, the purpose of government, the purpose of we, the people, everything, government should live in fear of the people. If the government lived in fear of the people, there's a reason why we have the Second Amendment for many, many reasons. If the government lived in fear of the people the way they were supposed to, we wouldn't have a thousand taxes taxed on every single thing that you do forever, every single purchase that you make outside of a handful of purchases. And income tax, especially, is not just nauseating. It is beyond, it's, I would say, borderline illegal, except for they changed the law and they, they, the game is rigged and everything. So in eight in eighteen sixty one, August five, Lincoln says, "Hey, we need a tax." The purpose of the tax, the sole purpose of the tax, was not to start school systems, was not to do universal health care, was not to do anything. The purpose of the original income tax for the United States was to pay for the Civil War, period. And the reason why you know it was to pay for the Civil War was because that income tax only had a 10-year shelf life. They said, hey, we can't pay for the war. We have a war effort. We got to do civil, we got to do an income tax. Civil wars don't pay for themselves, Sean Esquire. So, they do not. 
So any war doesn't pay for well. Some wars absolutely do pay for themselves. And so uh, ask uh, what happened to all that oil that we got in Kuwait. So um, this particular war did not pay for, for itself. So they needed money to pay for guns and bullets and uniforms and feeding the troops and everything like that. So the good news is that it had a 10-year shelf life. It was it was taxed on, it was 3% on incomes. If you adjust for inflation, the incomes were around 18, $18,000 in in dollars now. So 3% on, on that. But here's the thing, the U.S. at that time, people were not drowning in cash. This was a agricultural society. So the original income tax, John Esquire, for the U.S., applied to what percent of the population? Um, 30. 30%? That's pretty good. Original income tax, specifically to pay for the Civil War effort, 3% of the population. Oh, yeah, that's, that's right. That's what, that's what that's exactly what the tax was supposed to be. Then in 1862, they formed the early version of the IRS, and then they they then they started to get into well, let's try a progressive tax thing. They did heavy taxes on tobacco, heavy taxes on alcohol. They were just basically they were trying to pay for the war effort, and I appreciate that. And I get that. obviously they weren't taxing the southern the southern states. This, right. These were taxes. This were taxes for the union. Mm. So then we get to 1894, and Congress passed a uh, national income tax. Right, the government gets a little taste of a tax, a little taste of that delicious tax money. <laughs> and here, here's how it works, listeners. The government—I can't speak for all governments—but the United States government has never met a tax that it didn't like. So the United States government gets a little taste of that delicious tax money. 1894, war's done. War is very, very done. Congress says, uh, hey, uh, let's pass national income tax. Well, guess what? 1895, it was deemed unconstitutional by the Supreme Court of the United States. And there's a oh. famous, famous, famous case from back then. It was Pollock versus the Farmers Loan and Trust. And so that's, uh, that's where they had landed on unconstitutional John Esquire, I also want to give an aside here to I, I want to give a high five to all the lawyers out there. And I did a, I did some cool science reading this last week. I did some cool conspiracy reading this last week. I had to do some some law reading. I had to oh. read up on the Oh my God. Holy <laughs> mackerel. I was I like like two minutes. I was like, I need like four cappuccinos right now. What is going on? I was like, do people do this for a living? People read all, and it was just going. Holy shit, lawyers out there, can you, you know, make succinct write-ups? Like, just like... Nothing is succinct. <laughs> holy mackerel, it just went on and on. I felt like an episode of The View. Like, wrap it up, man. <laughs> I read... I just went on. It just kept going. So, anyway, we we will get into some of the, the bigger ins and outs on all of this. Obviously, like I said, I, I'm, I'm very furious about how this country has lost its way regarding taxes. This is your money, everyone. This is your money. This is your income. Guess what capital gains taxes? People are like, oh, capital gains tax. That's just for rich people doing the stock market. What do you think 401k is, everyone? These are your, this is your retirement. People are like, well, yeah, I mean, if you're a millionaire from the stock market, you feed into your 401k for 30 years, guess what? You're going to be a millionaire. Guess what? Now the U.S. government is getting, I can't remember what we're up to on capital gains tax, uh, 25, 30%. I don't know a single stockbroker 
that is excited about anything the Democrats have to do regarding 401ks, retirement plans. They call it the stock market and capital gains tax. But again, I know I'm getting ahead of myself. And if I sound passionate, it's because I am. This is your money. This is like There was no way in any shape or form that the founding fathers wanted us to be taxed on income, property, pretty much think of anything that you buy other than food. I can't think of anything other than I think medicine, food, there's only a handful of things that you purchase that the government's like, hey, 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 you give me my cut or else we're going to show up with armed guys and you're going to go to jail. That right. is that is Mafia 101. So I'm, I'm very, very upset about where taxes are now and how everything came to be. In 1913, as we all know, federal income tax uh, returned with a vengeance and it was ratified via the 16th Amendment um, in, uh, I can't remember the month, but it was, it was 1913. 1913, we're pretty close on World War I there, Sean Escobar. Yeah, one year away. Yeah, that's a little, that's a lot of, uh, a lot of conspiracy sense tingling on that. So the United States government said, hey, we need some tax to pay for the war. That's cool. I, I get it. And, and hey, everyone, we're not going to tax your income forever. And then, <laughs> and then flash forward, yeah, we are going to tax your income forever. And then from 1913 to now, over 100 years, it goes up and it goes up. We have to pay for this. We need another organization for this. Yeah, no, you're right. It's just one thing after another. But again, we will get into tax stuff. Uh, but I did want to introduce this August the 5th, 1861 as a real eye opener of what income tax, regardless of other taxes, we can certainly get in other taxes, what income tax was supposed to be, it had a purchase, it had a purpose, it had an end date. The other thing I want to throw in here, Shana Squire, in all of the years of America, have we ever not been at war? Have we ever not been like, hey, everybody, you got to, hey, we got a war effort, everybody just take one for the team. Um, Not that i know of what percentage of the united states history from 1776 to now have we not been at war mm. approximately I, I say i say very quote approximately in quote 15. Mm. yeah in the history of the u.s we've only had around and again this is kind of a loose definition around 17 years of no war 93 percent of the history of the united states we have been at war and that's not to mention the secret wars and the backdoor wars. And we go down to Guatemala and we just, we, we change, uh, we rig elections and we put Saddam Hussein in power and all these other things that the United States and CIA and everyone has done the banana Republic. That's a famous mm -hmm. story. I think we've touched on that before. So yeah, 93% at least of American history is us at war. And they say, oh, we got to pay for the war effort. What war effort? Even now, are we at war right now? Um, we have troops in the Middle East. Remember, we just had the whole deal in Syria kick off not mm -hmm. too long ago. Where, yeah, where they we not have troops? We have military bases, plural, in South Korea that we've had there for 60 years. My dad is in his 80s. He was in Korea. We still have military bases there. How many yeah. military bases are in San Antonio? There's Bamsi and... Lackland Air Force, and I think Biden just put eight or nine new military bases. New, there was already bases there in the Philippines because 
what's someone's going to attack Taiwan. China is going to take over Taiwan. So we need not one more base or we need eight or nine more bases that the U S is policing the world now. And let's not forget about number one, the war on terror that never ends. And we have space force, which I don't entirely disagree on, but I want the U S government to tell me why am I spending U S tax tax dollars on space force? Just tell us yeah. like if there's if there's a meteor headed this way and they're saying we're going to use your tax dollars like yeah, absolutely yes oh there's some aliens that we talked about last episode whatever so again i apologize to everyone if you are burdened by my rant but it's your money for god's sakes it's your income you own a house that is taxed until the day you die so yeah this is the most American thing. It just keeps going on and going on. We can get into it deeper in later episodes. That is the, I call it the Lincoln tax of 1861, but holy mackerel, it's gotten way out of hand. I'm going to see here. Okay. This next one I think is probably going to lead into, we both sell Oppenheimer and we know kind of you know, from the film, like his thoughts on it. And the fact that he kind of understood he's basically created death with the atomic bomb, uh, the nuclear bomb. It was a team effort. Can we mm-hmm. can not single him out? I know he's the okay. face. He's the face of the project. I know he's the face of death. Many, we'll people, it many people knew they knew exactly what they were doing. They're like, this is we're not building this just for shits and giggles. So they built the bomb August and that was July of 1945. We covered it recently august 6th and august 9th 1945 we i say we not us truman ordered the u.s military to drop the bombs on hiroshima and nagasaki in japan after japan had attacked pearl harbor we said this was our way to end the war and in hiroshima uh they estimate that 70,000 people were killed instantly when the bomb dropped, not after. So total casualties was around 135,000 in Hiroshima. So people dying after from radiation fallout and burns and everything else. Um, In Nagasaki, so three days later, they drop a second bomb because the first one wasn't bad enough. they estimate 39,000 people were killed instantly with total casualties being around 64,000. So simple math there, Dr. Blom, we're looking at around 200,000 people killed in a matter of three days from two bombs. And that's um, before all the, the nuclear fallout post facto a year later, two years later, 10 years later. Yeah. Anything that, that people had afterwards, um, which, you know, it obviously it worked um, because I guess you got in here as of August the 15th. So less than a week later is when they announced they were going to surrender. Correct. Emperor Hirohito, a bit of a character. I had read online that he was the last Japanese emperor that had declared himself a living, a living God. And so I don't know if that was just a, a rumor as with other wars that we've covered, other big wars, there's some debate regarding there's always the end and then there's the end end and there's, a, you know, this happened with the Civil War, this happened with World War I and everything. So, yes, 
Emperor Hirohito, he announced, he did a radio broadcast August the 15th. And he, he says, uh, this is, you know, this is the end. This is a, this is a done deal. The, the issue is, is that one is that he was speaking this old school, classic Japanese, number one, the technology, whatever he was using, like radio wise was not that great. So a lot of people thought it was very muffled or maybe the atomic bombs had just messed up the ability for radio signals to travel. There's always that possibility. And then he didn't make a clear surrender in that speech that they had to come back after that speech, whoever, and say, Hey, everybody, if you didn't catch that, that that was a surrender where it's, it's a done deal. The official surrender was September 2nd. And this is the, this is the famous one. Uh, This is the, the one that was uh, signed on the USS Missouri. Um, So a bunch of things leading between the initial Hiroshima and leading up to September 2. So the Japan leaders before all this in July, as early as July, they were getting together and they were saying, Hey, uh, the war is not going great and uh, we're probably not going to win. So we need to find a way out of this. One of the biggest stories in the surrender in the last days of the war is Japanese hubris for sure. And, and it's hard to say, I feel like their culture has a lot of hierarchy that, mm-hmm. that this person, you know, head this head head person, you can't really disagree with them. So Western culture, we disagree with each other all the time, but Japanese culture has this, or at least back then, they had this very entrenched, uh, you just don't disagree with your elders. You don't agree with the, with the master samurai guy. You just, you just don't do that. That was not really built into their culture. So at that time in July, there was a lot of Japanese leaders. I think they called them the big six. They were reaching out to the Soviets and they said, Hey, hey, can you, uh, can you help us kind of like, well, just like, uh, we'll do a peace thing. And then we'll kind of make some concessions on this and this. The, of course, obviously, the U.S. and the Brits had told had told Russia, uh, "Yeah, you're going to help us uh, bring down the Japanese for sure." So uh, then, the Soviets at that time, when they when Japan was reaching out to them, they were planning. They were already planning attacks because the U.S. and Brits had said, "Hey, can you help us?" They were planning attacks on Manchuria, Korea, uh, South uh, Sadekia, the Kuril Islands, all these places. And now we're on August the 8th, August the 8th, whatever was going on. I think that the, obviously the Soviets knew the writing was on the wall. The Soviets said, um, oh, we declare war on Japan. (laughs) I'm not kidding. We're in the last hours of the war and August the 8th, Soviets said, declare war on Japan. (laughs) uh, By the way, the Soviets were kind of out of the war with the end of Germany and everything. The Soviets were like, yeah, I mean, Germany invaded um, Poland, Stalingrad, yeah, Stalingrad. And, yeah. yeah, and the, the German troops they raped a bunch of our people, and you know they they tried to make it to Moscow like Napoleon, and they failed like Napoleon. So anyway, the, as far as the Soviets were concerned, they're like Japan. They bombed the U.S. They didn't bomb us, so they were kind of viewed as neutral, but they weren't. They were enemy of my enemy, kind of. That might not be a fair assessment at that time. Friends of the U.S. So August 8th, uh, Soviets say, war on Japan. August 9th, the Soviets invade Manchukuro. And then hours after that, hours after Manchukuro, August 9th, uh, Nagasaki gets bombed. So in the midst of all of this, and this is a story I absolutely want to cover that I did not know about until the last day or so. 
there is a coup in Japan, a coup, a coup de coup coup de coup d'etat, coup d'etat, coup d'etat. Coup d'etat. <laughs> that sounds uh, very t- coup d'etat. Yeah. Hey, everybody, I got a text accent after after five years, after my five point nine percent, and then uh, there was this uh, there was this military coup. There you go. It's called the Kaiujo incident. It's the night of the fourteenth, going into the fifteenth. So many things going on in that, and I encourage everyone to check it out. We we need to get into it eventually, maybe next episode. I think. So then they have all of that uh, August seventeen. So Hir- Hirohito gives an official radio announcement on the, on the fifteenth. Then on the seventeenth, he gives another one, which is basically a speech to the officers and the uh, and the, and his military guys, like, "Hey guys, seriously." You know, it, it, it's time to wrap it up here. Probably, maybe because of the military coup, and then there's the famous, famous surrender on the um, on the USS uh, Missouri. That's the September two when everything is signed, and then beyond that, there's uh, there's well, so August twenty eighth, the occupation of Japan comes in. The Allied forces and everything. They're like, hey, we're here. You guys got bombed, everything. That's kind of weird, you know, when you drop atomic bombs and there's radiation everywhere. And you're like, let's go. Let's get in there. <laughs> so, then when you talk about the end of especially World War, Civil War, things like that, there's the end, and there's the end, end, and then there's the end, end, end. 1956, here we go. For 1956, there's the Japan-Soviet's official end of war. So there's oh. that. Yeah, there's that. And also... One of my favorite things in this story, well into the 1970s, there was a gentleman this, uh, who refused to surrender as a Japanese guy until it was 27 years later. It was January 1972. He was in Guam. A soldier is a sergeant. Uh, I'm going to butcher his name. I apologize. Sochi, Shochi, S-H-O-I-C-H-I, Yoki. Y O K O I, he he uh, he said, "Hey everyone, I'm, I've decided maybe maybe the war is over." 1972. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that he was in he was in Guam. There's a whole story there, so it's one of my favorite parts of of the surrender and everything. And that's part of the Japanese mentality. They there was all these stories about when the announcement came about the end of the war and basically Japan lost. There was there was people crying. I don't know what goes on in Japan culture that uh, a lot of people just kill themselves. It was like, oh, uh, yeah. they took samurai it, way. Well, yeah. Uh, what do they call it? Um, it's not, um, I'm blanking on the name right now. And you shove the, shove the, the sword. Your, yeah. Shove, <laughs> shove the knife in your, in your belly and you, um, cut your way up. You bring it across and, um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm blanking on the name of that, but, mm-hmm. That was that was the thing. There was a lot of military guys that were like, "Oh, well, if we lost, I'm not, I'm not ready to live in that world." So there there was a lot of that. So a lot of a lot of tragic loss. We touched on before regarding did we need to bomb? Did we need to drop atomic bombs? All that. I I still stand by that we did not. I feel for for many many reasons, and I'm happy to talk about that at any at any time. But Sean Esquire is telling me total death toll hundreds of thousands of Japanese. And I want everyone to remember, this is not a smart bomb. Smart bombs take out innocent people, quote unquote, collateral damage. 
women died, children died, innocent people died. So looking back on it now, I understand there needed some, the U.S. needed uh, to display, hey, we have this atomic bomb and you guys should take it seriously. They mentioned in the movie, hey, we could just, we could uh, drop it right off the coast and show yeah. that. So there were, there were options there. Never mind the fact that behind the scenes, high level Japanese leadership was reaching out to uh, at least to Russia and saying, hey, can we, we'd really like to wrap this up. Well, again, the, the more I read on it, I love, I love Oppenheimer. I love the story. I love the science, but I don't, I don't think it needed to be done. And there's a scene in Oppenheimer. I'm getting ahead of ourselves that so we're going to do an Oppenheimer review. There's a scene in Oppenheimer where he says, I had blood on my hands. He does, but I mean, he didn't act alone. There was a team of scientists there. So it gets to be very, very complicated when you have, you know, more than one person pulling the trigger or whatever. Certainly can blame Truman, you know, yeah. didn't, didn't it fall on his shoulders to make, to make that decision. He was very proud of himself that he did that or whatever. So mm -hmm. yeah, there's more than enough blame to go around, but in terms of historical, retrospect the, the powers of retrospect i just don't think it need to be done and yeah I, I hope my real hope that we've spoken about before is i hope that humankind unlock the mysteries of the atom and this is what's going to save us from a meteor or it's going to get us to mars and humanity is going to survive because of this horrible thing that we that we did in the 40s yeah and you know to kind of touch back on that you had asked me about atomic bombs, you know, that we used back then compared to what we have in today's arsenal. I almost didn't want to know the answer, but it's just, oh uh, yeah, it's just, it's so terrifying. So little boy, the bomb dropped on Hiroshima. So that was the bigger one. That one had an estimated 12 to 13 kiloton yield. I think it's like 20,000 tons of TNT. Today, so nuclear, thermonuclear bombs, there's now nine countries that have nuclear weapons. The U.S. and Russia possess about 90% of the world's, obviously China's in there, North Korea, Iran. Uh, so there's about 13,000 nuclear weapons worldwide. Um, the most powerful nuclear bomb known today is in our B-83 aircraft bomb. So remember, 12 to 13 kilotons was Hiroshima. This B-83 has 1,200 kilotons. So 100 times wow. what Hiroshima was. 100 Hiroshimas. Oh, my God. That's so terrifying. I hope that comes in handy if we have a meteor heading towards us or something like that. That's really, I feel like the universe let humans discover the secrets of the atom for that sole purpose. We're going to kill hundreds of thousands of people in Japan in, in 1945 so that we can save billions of people on earth in whatever. I, yeah, I, I still feel that, but yeah, I assume the strongest ones were either in space pointed at the earth or, or the nuclear ones. And again, you're reading stuff online, my friend. Yeah. So that's who, what we know. That's what we know. Exactly. <laughs> Who knows what they really have? Number one and number two, if they were on, this is another thing when we talk about like, oh, whenever a plane goes down, my first question is who was on it. Right. Whenever, um, whenever there's a nuclear or I say a nuclear, 
scientific discovery. So we're unlocking the secrets of the atom in 1945 with computers that are one millionth the strength of my iPhone, computers that take up an entire room. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's exactly a millionth or whatever. The technology that we used to go to the moon in 69 was far less more powerful than my iPhone. So when you talk about gigabytes and terabytes and things like that. So if they were doing all of these things in 1945, this keeps me awake at night. Holy mackerel, what are they doing now? Right. We talk about World War One, like the beginning of World War One, people were showing up with horses and swords. And by the end of World War One, they had mustard gas, they had machine guns. I mean, the machine guns, I think the first machine gun was 1860s, 1870s. Um, but anyway, they had made huge sea change leaps, leaps and bounds just in warfare in World War One. And you just look at overall science and technology from 1900 so 45 years later, not even a yeah. lifetime later, 1900, they were kind of getting a, a handle on locomotion, steam locomotives. They were like, this is the fastest we'll ever go. So there, <laughs> there's a story going way back when they, they wanted to make rail, railroads, they wanted to make trains go up to 100 miles an hour. And people thought that if humans went over 100 miles an hour, it would shatter your brain and you would end up mentally handicapped and they thought like there's no way human a human body should ever go that fast would ever go that fast and then from that theory whatever conspiracy theory 45 years later hey we unlock the secrets of the atom that's to me number one insane and number two what have we done since then because from from then to now that they have the cia they're not advertising now like they did back then Back then, there was a world right. war. Like, hey, you can't hide an atomic bomb, right? Hey, we have an atomic bomb, but you can hide all kinds of other things that they've probably done since then. So yeah. that's that's what terrifies me. And I just think, you know, holy mackerel, if the internet says that the atomic bombs now are a thousand times stronger, is that what it is? A thousand times? Thousand, a thousand times. Well, thousand on, let's see, 12 kilotons to 1,200. A hundred times, right? Two zeros. Yeah. I mean, we're not, we're not math. That's what, that's what, move the, move the decimal. I mean, that's what's, that's what's on the internet. It could, it could very well be way more than that. Yeah. And I understand there's people out there that whatever, they don't, they don't believe whatever scientists say. So all, all of that is very, very terrifying. And again, I don't trust the people that are there to regulate everything. Because, because also I feel like a lot of, there's the political part and politicians are, are, I think in many, many ways, not very smart people. Politicians will be the first ones to tell you, I don't know anything about science. I I have, I know how to argue a case in court or, but I know what, I don't know what the periodic table of elements is, or these guys have most of DC is a, is a law background. And even the scientists that they have, you know, Rand Paul, I think is an eye doctor. There's just a handful of, of guys. These are not like. There, there's not a single physicist, chemical engineer that I know of that's that's on Congress. And there, there might be, but off the top of my head, I can't think of any. Even if there is, it's one or two, not right. not the vast majority. Of so you're dealing with very, very complex, advanced things, and sometimes the quarterback, the politician that's supposed to be calling life and death decisions, not the smartest person in the room, and may or may not decide to listen to the smartest people in the room. Scary thought. Mm. But that was 1945. 
we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we've got, I don't want to give any spoilers. How do I not give any spoilers? Mm. Mm, I'll just say maybe it is beyond the realms of Earth. Okay. Yeah, quick break. Coming right back. And welcome back to a doctor and a lawyer walk into a podcast. We just wrapped up some big worldly events and this particular section is kind of covers a few things it's definitely on follow-up and it's kind of touches on current events and so i talked to shauna's choir about it i wanted to end our history section on it only because it encapsulates a lot of history but we had briefly touched on last time that we had we covered the mars rovers and so i got into the moon rovers and oh boy, boy howdy, there is a lot going on moon rover-wise, Sean Esquire. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we have one up there. India? You, th- you think in India has the only one up there? Uh, you know, well, I guess we wouldn't know if the U.S. had one up there. Moon-wise? Moon yeah. You think everyone's keeping it under wraps as like secret, high-tech, high-tech secret? I do. So moon moon rovers, we talked about Mars rovers last time. On mover rovers, November 1970, there's a Luna, Luna 17 mission. That's, that's the spacecraft. This is Russia, right? And so they have something called Luna Cold. I don't, I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that correctly. This is uh, Luna Cold 1. I think Luna Cold 0. Uh, this is the rover that it had blown up or not made or whatever so they land in the sea of rains november 1970 this is the first rover from anyone on the moon uh you know what i think that's the first rover ever out of any of the rovers and it makes it it makes it a full 321 earth days uh which is so one lunar nighttime is 14 earth days so it made it a, a heck of a long time. It was actually, the record was not broken for many, many years. In that time, it only covered about six and a half miles. Then there was also obviously the Apollo missions. Those were the, the lunar roving vehicles. That was Apollo 15, 16, 17. And they were made by Boeing. You can get one to two people in those. Pretty pretty good size. We've all seen the footage. Uh, larger than Larger than a golf cart. Those things look like a lot of fun. And then there was uh, Lunik Hold 2, was January 1973. And then there was the uh, China the China one, which is the U-2, uh, Y-U-T-U. This is the U-2 China. It's landed in December 14, 2013. The translation of the U-2 rover was Jade Rabbit. Mm-hmm. So the Jade Rabbit had, uh, it had difficulties more or less right after landing and then its first 14 days like of the lunar night it had huge problems and then it was unable to move after the end of the second lunar night it stopped sending data on august the 3rd 2016. oh some of the, that's the basic follow-up out of condition for like seven years then i was gonna check out some moon stuff and the moon rovers and oh no no hang on wait a minute there's <laughs> other stuff going on. And then Sean Esquire is like, can you do the tax stuff? And uh, maybe, uh, and I was like, yeah, I'm just going to 
you know, follow-up, that's going to not be a big deal. Wrong follow-up was kind of involved. There's some failed, failed moon rover missions, obviously. There is the, uh, so the second India lunar mission was something called Pragyan. So the, so I, the rover is called Pragyan. The mission was Chan, Chanrayaan. I apologize, Indian friends butchering that. C-H-A-N-D-R-A-Y-A-A-N. So that was Chandrayaan 2 with the rover of Pragyan. This guy, is a, he's a very efficient, very compact 27 kilos, 27 kilograms. And uh, unfortunately for the second Indian lunar mission, kaboom, he crashed. Crashed, into, uh, crashed onto the moon, smashed into the moon September 6, 2019. There was the Beereshet, B-E-R-E-S-H-E-E-T, or Beereshet. Uh, this is an Israeli that crashed I get on. Those if I have too many beers. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And the next day you get the beer sheets. This is a uh, crashed uh, April 11, 2019. Then there's the Rashid, which is from Saudi Arabia, crash landed April 23. Which is, I believe, was on the same mission as the iSpace. So the iSpace is a private company. So the Hakutu R, which is uh, obviously Japan, that's the Japanese lander. Um, this it, it crashed, smashed into the uh, smashed into Mars. A lot of failed Mars mission. Uh, moon, the Moon. I'm talking about the Moon here. Smashed into the Moon. <laughs> And uh, this, the official story is that they had altitude miscalculation. They basically ran out of fuel. So uh, they, uh, they kind of like, what's crazy is they made it there on the, mm-hmm. on the iSpace, the iSpace mission. Actually, a few of these missions, they had like made it there. You ever watch a football game and you see them get to the one yard line? Yeah, yeah. And then, and then uh, drop the ball. It was like a famous Oilers game. You remember that Oilers game that they were going to go to the championship back in the 90s? And then because of that game that they blew it at the at the last minute, that all of Houston was like, Oilers, get out of here. You're done. And they, <laughs> they, they literally kicked the team out of Houston. They sent them to Tennessee. They became the Tennessee Titans. And then Houston was like, yeah. But yeah, there's some missions to the moon, recent missions. And they literally like uh, the Hakuru, H-A-K-U-T-O, that's the, that's the lander, three miles from the moon. They left Ooh. Earth. They didn't explode. They got to the Earth atmosphere. They didn't shut down. Nothing snapped in half. No wing snapped. But they went around the Earth. They did the whole slingshot thing. They went through however many days of space. Like nothing exploded. They got all the way to the moon. All right, man. Just got to get this lander down there. Three miles from the moon. Oh. Crash. Clunk. Yeah. Yeah. So there's some real like heartbreaking stories on this. Currently, the current moon rovers that we have we have china the u2 y-u-t-u actually it's called the u22 it's number two named after the band of course yeah yeah so this is where my conspiracy sense tingles from the beginning okay this is why i was i literally got into oh we covered the mars rovers i'll just do a couple of the moon rovers for follow-up and then we'll be on our way with world war one and everything nope wrong Currently, moon rover U-22, it landed in January 3rd, 2019. This is the first rover on Mars uh, that, to go to the far side. So this oh. this goes to the far side. It currently on the moon hold, or Mars? On moon. We're talking about the moon, everyone. If I yeah. say Mars, I apologize. 
talking this section is all moon all the time mooning <laughs> moon moontastic mooning here we go okay i think fifth fifth beer i'm not really like that that deep uh so this is the u22 this is from china it holds the record for the uh longest lunar longevity formerly formerly held by russia from mm. way back the the luna 17 mission way back in 1970. so this u22 china mission in 2019 moon moon mission not mars this is the first moon mission since russia in 1976. oh okay and and i, I guess you know china could have gone anywhere on the moon and they decide to go to the far side of the moon or dark side of the moon. Pink Floyd. Yeah, kind of. It gets a little scary from here on out. So there's no moon missions. Everyone said, hey, we got some rocks. And hey, we did this. We went to the Sea of Tranquility. And then we had some rovers. Apollo had some rovers. And there were some golf balls involved and this and this and this. And China gets involved. The game has changed. Everything has changed. So... Chan Janayan, this is uh, this is India India mission. Uh, this is their second attempt to soft land a rover uh, on the moon. It is currently in orbit right now around the moon. They're trying. They they launched you know uh, last month I think, and they um, they're trying to land the twenty third of this month. I'm going to get into that in just a minute. How many Earths between Earth and the moon do you think? because remember the apollo mission apollo 11 they did it in like three days yeah i don't know 20 oh very very close 30. okay 30 oh, 30 30 earths between um earth and the moon okay yeah so that being said right now now since the 2019 china mission then then things kind of get really interesting at least one eyebrow raising july 14th i said last month i was right july 14th india launched their third moon mission right right but russia luna 25 blasted off the 11th of this month so they are in a dead heat race this is going on right now right now india and russia are trying to get to the moon and not just the moon you're going to hear this over the next five minutes or so. The um, the um, South Pole of the Moon. You are going to you're going to be amazed at what the heck is going on in all of these, not just uh, NASA's and and governments and all these everybody trying to get to the South Pole of the Moon, um, but there's like private companies involved. This mm -hmm. thing is really I'm, what's down there exactly that is literally like the 300 billion dollar question going to the moon is not cheap by the way so yeah there's a reason why multiple multiple people are involved i've heard so, that i've heard they need a lot of tax dollars to do it yeah there you go hey thanks lincoln uh so um india and russia right now right now as we speak they're in a dead heat so they're both trying to land on the south pole again you could land anywhere but as we speak right now russia china india and the us at least at least those four are all they all have active missions for south pole of the moon so the russian luna 25 
is Russia's first moon mission, like we talked about, in over 50 years. No one really gave a shit about the moon until China got up there back in 2019. So China goes to the dark side of the moon, and guess what? Kaboom. There's, it's an explosion all around the world. It's insane the amount of countries, and, and, and not just countries, private companies that have nothing to do with NASA that are gunning for the moon. So uh, Russia is attempting to land on the 21st. India has a landing date for the 23rd. We will see what happens with this. I am keeping this at the very, very top, 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 top of our follow-up story. Uh, the India mission is going to last. They're, they're gunning for about two weeks, and the Russia mission is going to take about a year. So who knows? I mean, they say, oh, we're going to be doing soil samples and this. I, know, I no longer believe anyone when they, when they talk about the moon at all, zero, zero percent. Something happened. Our listeners, everyone, please. Something happened when China went to the moon in 2019. They went to the dark side of the moon. They went to the far side of the moon. That all of a sudden there is massive, massive billions. I mean, we might be we might be into the trillions when you take all of it into into account about you know going back to the moon and everything that's involved right now. 2023. There have been articles written that have said this is the most ambitious year since the Apollo missions. Right now, 2023, there's when you look at the planned missions alone, these are the planned missions to go to the moon. I stopped somewhere around 14. It's just, it, it's insane. There's the Asagumu, uh, it's got four legs and it's got uh, artificial intelligence. It's coming out of the UK. It's the first mission to the moon from the UK. So high five, British folk, UK folk, because uh, they have nothing on the moon right now. And this is the, they're going to, they want to explore the uh, lava tubes of the moon. Shana Square, what are lava tubes in the moon? Those are the tubes made from a volcano. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people don't know the moon used to be very, very active, like molten lava volcano wise that they had, you know, active active lava underneath the lava tubes. You could also call them caves because that's Ooh. what they are. They're caves. And so the Asagumu is going to be investigating the, uh, the caves of the moon for possible, you know, that's where they're going to put the bases and everything. Never mind the fact what the heck is in there. Chuds. Right. Chuds. Yeah. Yeah. That's my fifth or sixth Chud reference. So high five anyone that knows what Chuds are. And uh, the Asagumu mission, it looks, I mean, it looks cool to the extent that they're not using wheels on this thing. It has four legs like a, like, like a spider. Please look at the YouTube, please look at the YouTube on this thing. It's very holy mackerel. This is the future sort of thing. Okay. And also, yeah, also it it has has AI. Hey, let's take AI and put it, let's take AI and put it on this spider thing. Like, oh, that's kind of scary. Hey, let's put it through the caves of the moon where humans are going to live like 10 years from now. <laughs> All of that's crazy. Audi is involved. You know, the car company Audi, they're involved. They have plans. But there's another one called... Oh, it's going to Cal- crash. My Audi <laughs> was terrible. <laughs> what, dude, drive a Beamer. What's wrong with you? In the war of Beamer versus Audi, it's Beamer. Mm. A thousand percent. Yes, Beamer for sure. I'm Beamer guy. Love my love my Beamer. Uh, Colmena. Uh, this is... Nine micro rovers, right? This is from Mexico. They're planning for this year, 2023. I don't think they're going to make it. There's another one called the Flex. 
this is a this is a huge big boy this is a big boy suv giant this is going to be the big boy rover and uh it's scheduled they're looking for 2026 guess where they want to land it south pole south pole of the moon there you go it can it can it i think they're planning on that it's going to carry like two tons or three tons like it's insanely huge regarding rovers. I wonder if that's the, like that's like the pole that faces Earth the most or something, and they think, oh, we'll stick it here so we can get contact. No, no, I think it's way more than that. I think they found something and they said we have to set up shop here because it's not like when I say they, like, oh, they have to set up shop. Everyone is setting up shop. 2023 <laughs> is the biggest. Except the, the Brits. <laughs> it's like, the, we're going to explore caves. They, well, yeah, I mean, it's smart in its own way. You got to get underneath there. You know, if you're going to put up, you're going to put up permanent um, human bases and stuff. Yeah. 2023 is the biggest year in the history of the moon ever regarding exploration. It might be the biggest year in the history of space exploration that I, I don't think that we have, you know, 20 different countries and all these private industries and everything trying to get to Mars. It's, it's really about the moon right now, which I think is going to be an away station between, you know, go out to moon, whatever, refuel and then go to mars it could be something like that but this is this is scary shit man um the flex like i said it's going to be it's it's a spacex it's going to carry tons of tons of whatever it wants to carry maybe nuclear weapons who knows there's the iris the iris this is from carnegie carnegie mellon university which i think is a little crazy that they're involved they're but they've obviously got a lot of funding um it's crazy they're involved in a couple of projects and uh, Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People, great book from way back in the day. There's a reason why they have as much money. There's, again, there's so many. There's the map, which is a, a Lunar Voyager 1 and 2. That's a commercial project. It has no affiliation with NASA whatsoever. No funding from NASA. No nada from NASA. Hey, we're going to do our own thing. We're going to go to the moon. We'll see you guys on the moon. That is, uh, they have like two missions. Obviously, the Lunar Voyage, the Luna, Lunar Voyage 1 and 2. I hope it's not Voyager. And they're planning on this year, 2023. Where are they landing? They're landing on the South Pole of the Moon. The Moon Ranger is another Carnegie Mellon uh, University project. They are they are actually coordinating with NASA. They're doing a subcontract with them. They are planning on this year, 2023, South Pole of the Moon. There's a SLIM project, S-L-I-M. That's from Japan. They are planning for this year, 2023. There is an unnamed Canada Luna Rover also and um and then the the list just goes on and on regarding the number of people that are number one not just trying to get to the moon they're trying to get to the moon this year uh chile is involved um it's it's just insane and then so those are the the planned missions and then there's a whole list of of uh, proposed missions on top of that the ispace guys even though they had a tough go you know that they're they're a private endeavor they're planning their second mission, 2024, and uh, that, that's going to be a lander. They're going to have a lander and a rover. They're going to. They're planning to build permanent staffed lunar colony by 2040. So, Ooh. and they darn well might do it. I think these iSpace guys, uh, they might be worth buying into stock wise. The we talked about the Barashit guys, um, which is <laughs> it's kind of an Israeli project. But this, they're gonna, they're planning on part two, and on part two is for next year for 2024. They're, they're getting, uh, they're gonna 
work in conjunction with Saudi Arabia and maybe like six other countries. So that, okay. that I, I don't know if you know anything about Israel. Number one, that's in, insanely huge that Israel has said, hey, we're going to team up with um, the Muslims. The Jews and the Muslims are teaming up to go to space because we have to get to the moon. Right. Hmm. And then granted, they're going to have five other countries involved in that project or six other countries. But the Jews and the Muslims have said, hey, you know how we've been killing each other for thousands of years? Let's put that aside. We got to get to the goddamn moon. So <laughs> we're going to fight yeah. up there. No, man, I'm telling you, like the more I read, like every hour or so, I was just like, what in God's name is going on? So obviously you want to know, our listeners want to know, where's the U.S. and all this? Everyone, I mean, U.S. wise, take a breath kind of, but also look at the whole picture. So U.S. has this Nova thing, C1M. This is, again, a private company. This is a private company out of Houston. Uh, they're planning for sometime this year, 2023. I don't buy it. A lot of these a lot of these projects that are planning for 2023. 2023 is almost done, everyone. Then yeah. there's another one. There's the uh, Perigini, P-E-R-E, Peregrine mission. Uh, and that one's going to come with a rover. That's supposed to be the fourth quarter of this year. So they better they better get the lead out on that one. And now we have the real deal NASA. What is what is U.S. NASA doing moon-wise? So we've kind of touched on this before. There's the Artemis missions, which they've been working on for quite some time. 2024, they, they had one that just went out recently, which was not a manned mission. I, I think, do we say person mission now? Not a person mission? Not a person mission. Unmanned it, mission? No. Okay. <laughs> yeah, not a... Not a person mission is an un, unpersoned mission or whatever. <laughs> so April 24, I say April 20, I'm saying uh, April 2024 this year, Artemis 2 is going to be heading out. This is the plan. It's a 10-day mission, four astronauts. They're going to do a, a flyby on the moon. They're going to pass around the far side of the moon. So all of these missions that I've talked about, none of them are talking about sending people, actual astronauts. NASA, this Artemis 2 mission is the only one out of all of these missions, over a dozen, easily over a dozen, these are governments sending people, sending, I say people, sending technology into space. These are private companies sending uh, technology into space, all this. NASA is the only one saying, we're going to do people. And maybe, you know, who knows, Russia, China is probably right behind them if that's what the U.S. is doing. So U.S., NASA sending people out, three, three U.S. people and one Canadian uh, later on, I say this year, within, within the next year, just to do a flyby. They're going to go around the far side of the moon. And then Artemis 3, 2025, United States astronauts touching down on the moon. So hmm. that's where we are right now. What if, oh, what was the guy's name? Phil Collins, mm -hmm. when he was in the lunar module yes. or the orbiter? It wasn't he, Phil, but go ahead. And he went around the moon and he was loneliest man in the universe yes. we just did this like an yep. episode ago like literally one episode okay go ahead what if he left a message on that side of the moon where to find the lost city of atlantis drink more ovaltine do you think that he wrote that on the far side <laughs> i mean what else is he doing up there <laughs> he just did a he did a fly but we don't know we don't know what he did i mean and on top of that what if he saw like alien bases or god right. knows what he saw right exactly so 
it doesn't matter whatever people have to say about the Apollo 11 missions or the 60s or the 70s, or basically the moon was all wrapped up with a bow. 1976, right? Yeah. 1976, the Russians finally got up there. The U.S. was like, hey, man, we've had like 17 Apollo missions. It's a done deal. And then no one in the whole world gave a shit about going to the moon Mm -hmm. until the last couple of years. Like I said, China goes up, 2019 goes to the far side of the moon. Who knows what they saw that all of a sudden, all of these countries and private company, all of these countries, private companies, everyone, this is the biggest year in the history of space exploration. And it's not getting covered on top of that. Like if the press was even hinting at any of this stuff, India just launched last month. Russia just launched initially. They're they're in a dead heat to get to the moon. I'm not seeing this shit on CNN. I'm not hearing it really on NPR. I mean, you know, so... This is, as far as I'm concerned, scary. Absolutely. Something is going on that multiple countries have decided. So Trump says, hey, we're doing Space Force. I don't know. What was that? 2018, 2019? He, he may have announced the same year that China went to the dark side of the moon and saw whatever they saw. And that's why, to, that's why you have to space look at, Yeah, I have to look at when Trump did his Space Force announcement and then... There's no way in hell that we've had all of these years. We had Apollo missions 50 years ago. And then all of a sudden now, half of the world's like, we got to get to the moon. Like now, like literally this year, we have to get to the moon, 2023, 2024. We have to have, we're going to go under it. We're going to check out the caves. We're going to do this. We're going to start laying out groundwork for permanent moon bases. No one is giving this amount of attention to Mars. I mean, I know Elon has a giant, excited whatever about mars and and that's fine but he very well may be the cia is like hey elon people look at you and you own the site formerly known as twitter can you talk about mars a lot just a lot man (laughs) just really just talk it up and then maybe no one will realize that 14 15 countries are gunning for the moon like right now out of nowhere yeah something's going on man I'm not even I'm not even going to joke and say conspiracy sense tingling. I'm going to say right now this shit is real and it's happening and I don't know. There's a meteor headed for us or they found an alien base or Congress just had um uh congressional hearings on aliens and they're real and we have technology. There's way too much going on all at once for it to be like, "Oh, it's no big deal." Something's yeah. going on huge, huge, huge. And uh, yeah, it it concerns me because humans are not that smart when you Mm -hmm. compare us to people that have technology of uh, craft whipping in and out of our atmosphere. We're not ready for whatever, whatever we're prepping for. It's just not going to, it's not going to pony up, but maybe that's the thing. Like, well, we'll get some people on Mars. We'll get some people on the moon. And then that way, when the earth is destroyed, humanity will kind of survive kind of. I, I feel that might be exactly what's going on. Oh, then we're all doomed. Yeah. Unless we can get to the moon. Unless you're a billionaire. Right. No, all if right. you're a billionaire or you're, you know, you're like that super duper scientist person, you know, I'm sure they have their list. I mean, they've had their list forever. Yeah. Okay. Sean Esquire wants to save all the people from Creed. <laughs> <laughs> Where's Nickelback? Oh, man. Uh, very yeah yeah i mean it could be you know and then and then how much how you know, the rabbit hole do you want to go was 
COVID was at a trial run that the next, the COVID 2.0, like the real COVID 2.0, not the Delta or whatever, you know, the first COVID only wiped out 0.01% of the population. And mostly it wiped out people that were not in great physical health. You know, Mm -hmm. people forget uh, COVID predominantly wiped out men. Everyone that thinks that the medical industry is sexist or, or, you know, oh, oh, all their dumb reports. COVID wiped out predominantly COVID killed men, killed people over 60, chronic medical problems, things like that. So the first round of COVID, who knows what they're going to do next, is um, thin the herd, you know? Mm -hmm. And I I hate to say it, do we need people in their 80s? Hey, yes, you, Joe Biden, (laughs) do we need people in their 80s if the asteroid is coming or the aliens are coming or, you know, you don't need the super old people eating up all of our wheat that is going to not be around. We have finite resources. So we will, I'm, I'm going to stay on top of this story, like white on rice. And uh, yeah, out of everything that we've ever done, Sean Esquire, this is the one that really, really has given me pause. Uh, I'm this is on the one you're on. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Moving okay. on to one of Sean Esquire's favorite things ever. I want to say, a special, special thank you to Sean Esquire for pretty much demanding that I go see Oppenheimer. It was, it was on my list. I was like, yeah, I'm going to go see it, whatever. But Sean Esquire was like, no, you need to go see it pronto. Like I was going to watch Barbie five times and then (laughs) I guess I'll do Oppenheimer. I mean, I love our history segment, but Barbie just. Everything that Sean Esquire said was true. And then some, I loved it. I do apologize. I didn't make it because there's only two of those magical theaters in Texas. The the IMAX five plus. Dallas and San Antonio. Dallas and SA, right? Yeah. Oh, who needs who needs a, a magical IMAX in the in the capital city, right? <laughs> I, li- I live close enough to Austin that I can like go to anyway. So I, I loved it. It was amazing. I will say, can I just say this? And I know John Esquire is not going to be a fan. <sighs> Did it need to be three hours long? Yes, it absolutely okay, okay, had. It. Okay, all right, okay, right. Yeah, it was because cut of all- short. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you you I, go ahead and take the, take the wheel because I, I don't even know say, where, to, where to jump in at this point. I think it had to be because they they had to tell the whole, you know, Washington side of it, too. It wasn't just we made a bomb. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Spoilers, everyone. Oh, yeah. Spo- Spo- yeah. Spoilers. We're doing spoilers, everyone. I'm just going to say, this is, this is going to spoil the movie entirely. <laughs> Not um, just spoilers, spoiling. <laughs> Yes, okay. but um, you know they had the whole like Washington investigation and the fake panel questioning Oppenheimer and whether he was a communist and that his wife was a a communist and super he was hot lady. Oh no, a communist. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, uh, no, yeah, I didn't that the, the you know the bomb and everything leading up to it. and then so the first hour at 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 the very very least the first hour was so cram packed right yeah it was like we're gonna tell the story of oppenheimer in 55 minutes one two three go and it was just like <laughs> he tried to kill his professor and then he did this and then he talked to niels Bohr, and then eventually he met richard feynman and he, oh he's chatting it up with albert einstein i'm like okay i got it i got it i got it and i went to a theater i didn't do the super magical five-star golden eagle imax thing that you did i go to theaters that had that have beer you know get it okay. get a 
get a quesadilla. No, so did you go to the bathroom? I did. You told me I can go when they showed the gadget with the, yes. the bomb. They're starting to put it together. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, three hours, I'm going to drink beer and have my quesadillas and spicy food. Yeah, I went I went to the bathroom once or twice. So, yeah, you told me uh, gadget-wise and, and the theater. I, I mean, I know that theater very well. Literally, bathrooms, like, whatever, 20 feet from the from the door. So I was not gone for a minute, maybe. Uh, anyway, love the movie. Uh, the third act or the third hour just... I don't. I won't say that it dragged. I'll just say that it was a lot of like, what are we doing? We did an atomic bomb. Like, do we need like this? Is like the post factoid, the po- like the epilogue, and the the congressional like this guy knows that guy and his and and on top of that, very very Christopher Nolan like very Batman Dark Knight feel uh, like uh like rhythms and everything. Mm-hmm. I really felt that. Yeah, and like you said, like you were asking me, oh, was it too loud? Was it too bright? I mm-hmm. thought it was perfect. Well, yeah, I mean, you went to the insane IMAX one. That's why I was asking. I, I went to the normal human one. Okay. They serve they serve beer and and nachos, and uh, yeah, it felt like loud was okay, and the uh, the bright was what I expected. It wasn't like burn out my retinas. I just assume. I assume like mine was mine was like level ten and yours was level eleven. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh man, if I did the IMAX version of this, then burn out my retinas or whatever. Was the theater quiet with the bomb? Uh, okay, yes, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was it was pin drop, and I couldn't yeah. tell you uh, the last time I had seen anything like that. I want to say maybe when I saw The Grudge years and years ago when it came out. It's an mm-hmm. amazing Japanese horror movie. Uh, yeah, deadly quiet. The whole yeah. scene leading up to the bomb. Oh, by the way, I think by the time the bomb came around, <clears throat> I was maybe like three beers in, four beers in. I was definitely like doing the dance, and I was like, I saw the gadget, but I got, I gotta go. But I want to watch. That I was just like, well, I'm like, I'm not going anywhere till the bomb <laughs> goes off. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the the backstory was great. Um, you know, I had done some reading on Oppenheimer in his life. Sean Esquire has has like he is a unofficial PhD on Oppenheimer now with all of his uh, his mad knowledge of of Oppie. I love the fact that he has that he has a had a, a cool nickname Oppie. Oppie and uh, yeah, they could have. I mean, it would be great if he liked hoppy beer and then he just called him Hoppy, or <laughs> if he was really good at basketball and he could he could jump high and then like there goes Hoppy. That's right. He likes layups. He likes layups and uh, splitting the atom. That's <laughs> there he goes. <laughs> did you uh, did you dress up for the movie? Oh yeah, I dressed up like a mushroom cloud. I rolled in there, <laughs> and then I it, like all the people around me were like, "I can't see." I was like, "It's historical. Shut up." So, <laughs> <laughs> I made this huge, awesome mushroom cloud. <laughs> yeah, I dressed up. I wore uh, I wore uh, shorts and a t shirt and. Uh, not even like a uh, not a science T-shirt, yeah. Hmm. So no, great. Uh, I I will I will maybe see again, but again, uh, that's my only gripe. Listen, writing five out of five stars, acting six out of five stars. So many people nail that. By the way, everyone, uh, it has Iron Man in it. I mean, he's not Iron Man. He's not like, hey, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm dressed up like Iron Man. Robert Downey Jr. is in it. They made him pretty old. That was yeah. cool. Yeah, I was like, uh, 
he's he's a good actor uh so the acting was great and obviously director one of the best directors ever okay three hours i don't know if i needed three hours two and a half could have done could have done i think you could have done everything in two and a half okay yeah i think you might have missed stuff at two and a half though hmm. they oh. had a, a trial you know the bomb was done by the way at that point they were like he might be a communist. Yeah. Like it's done. It's done, guys. The bomb the, is gone, and like the bomb you... was like two hours in. <laughs> <laughs> what do you care? Why? <laughs> like, oh no. Also, I want to uh, throw this out there. Some people online have said it's not me. The um, the boobs in that movie were like ten out of ten stars. Oh yeah. People people online have said that, and those those people. You know what? That's not an appropriate conversation online. Keep it to yourself. Yeah, I didn't say that. <laughs> so there's a weird, there is a weird uh, sex scene. It's like a oh, when they're during the hearings, in the, in the hearing, and I was, I was not in like sex scene mode, <laughs> and then all of a sudden that lady was there. I'm like, all right, that's you know, weird. Thanks, you know, thanks Christopher Nolan. Role. Oh, thanks Christopher Nolan. You're so like Art Deco weird, like avant garde. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> What happened there? Yeah, there was a lot going on. Um, the uh, Mary Poppins lady, she's very pretty. Mm-hmm. She, she's a drunk. She likes to, she likes to booze. Okay. She has a fl- she has a flask. Who carries a flask? <laughs> who who doesn't? I mean, back then, okay, you know what? They were dealing with Nazis, and so I, I guess back then you kind of had to have a flask. But in this day and age, the only person I know that has a flask that I've seen in 20 years was kind of an older guy with it. I mean, you're drinking at home or you're drinking at a party or, you know, yeah, like <laughs> leaving my house, I better take my flask. Right. That's very, that's very 1955, 1960. At a certain point, society is like, you don't need a flask. You're leaving the house. <laughs> How else are you going to get your booze? She's, I mean, she's, she's, Married to Oppie, man. She's got a. She's earned a drink every now and then. That guy was just gallivanting around. He was just rolling the parties. He's just like, hey, everybody, I'm super smart scientist. And the girls were like, what? what? And they're freaking out. They're losing their 1941 minds. They're like, oh my god, there's a guy that knows how to do math here. Girl, how's my hair? Is that, <laughs> is that not what happens to you at parties? <laughs> Whenever I mean. Whenever a super uh, science guy shows up, the, the ladies look out. That is a <laughs> that is a lady killer, lady magnet. Anytime you know that old nursery rhyme. That's how it works out. <laughs> like, oh hey, NBA guy is here. Pff, whatever. Lots of people can do layups. Oppie right. does a layup, and they're like, "What?" And he's like, "And I do math." Just like walks away. <laughs> Yeah, I feel I feel bad. He didn't really capitalize on his on his splitting the atom thing. He could have done a million things. He could have made a sneaker. He could have been like the first Nike Air, like Nike yeah. Air Ball. He could have done a like a breakfast cereal. He could have his own. I mean, I don't know with a, a soda pop. Mm-hmm. You do something in, in this day and age. There's immediately like nine thousand marketing things. No one went to him. No one went to Oppie and said, "Hey, man." You want to endorse this July Fourth fireworks? That's a <laughs> bazillion dollar idea right there. 
anything. I mean, all right. So that part, I didn't really get that. But he meant well, or he didn't mean well, or he was like, oh, well, we have to do it because the Germans are going to do it. That was the whole thing. I felt like that was half of it. They just yeah. constantly, like, they wouldn't say it, but they was like, oh, the Germans, you know the Nazis are going to make this. We better make it first. And then it was like, oh, the Russians are going to make it. I'm like, all right. Everyone was going to make it. Okay, yes, people were going to make it. Not everyone was going to use it. The U.S. was like, we have to use it twice. We have to use it twice. <laughs> Got to make sure it worked right the first time. So is that the official story or whatever, the unofficial story, is that the emperor was so just so into hubris? He's like, what is it? They don't have any more of those. So they just have that one. That's it. <laughs> What was the, I never got the backstory online that the emperor, they were like, hey, uh, something bad's happened. Like, think of the worst thing bombing that you can think of. And then it's way bigger than that, emperor, sir. There's like, they had to have a guy. There had to be a dude that told him back then. There had to be like the guy to go tell the emperor, who I think he considered himself a living god or whatever. <laughs> like, hey, uh, go tell the emperor about the atom bomb. They just went off. <laughs> what? Like, no, that's not what I do around here. Someone had to tell him. Someone had to go into his big fort, his golden castle, whatever, and just tell me, uh, I don't know how to tell you this. What kind of a day are you having? <laughs> Have you had a good day? They, just, they had a team. They had like five teams of people to go give him a great day. They're like, what's the emperor's favorite thing? They're like, uh, birthday cake. Everybody give him nine birthday cakes right now. <laughs> just all day, he was like, what? What's going on? And they just kept bringing him all of his favorite things. And then after like eight hours, <laughs> it was like, ah, oh, I can't have any more birthday cake. Whatever his favorite thing is. And they, they rolled in the intern. They're like, Go tell them about the atom bomb right now or you're out. You're going to get fired. You won't get any college credit for your internship at the Emperor's Palace. you lose all your college credit, man. <laughs> and so someone, I'm guessing it's one person, they had to explain to him what happened. And that also, they didn't know what the hell happened. They were like, whole city's gone. Completely <laughs> gone. We don't know. We, they literally, they thought it was um, like a massive bombing campaign. That's oh, what they, not initially, just one. they initially thought like, oh my God, did they roll out like 10,000 B-52s? <laughs> it, was, it was one of those things. But again, there's there's one and then there's Nagasaki. They're like, oh, let's, these guys are not listening. <laughs> so Yeah, Oppenheimer, uh, good film. Uh, Go see it. Absolutely go see it. I am going to try to see it again. And uh, I hope I can do the super duper deluxe IMAX thing. Oh, yeah. You gotta I'm bouncing around that. between Dallas and San Antonio. So, Where are you going I'm next? Gonna... Oh, you're going, you're going out, of, out of the country. I'm going, I'm going to SA area and then... That's not uh, out of the country. No, no. And then we'll see. I'm figuring out possible plans. So... Anyway, got uh, it's been it's been crazy crazy busy for me. It's gonna be crazy busy. I'm cool with that. Uh, I don't have any other movies on my list for now. In terms of I'm trying to think, there's no movies coming. You know, in the old days, I go to a movie like once a month. 
now I'm like, eh, it takes a lot. They, takes... Oh, yeah, because I didn't have trailers in my movie. Did, did they show any good trailers in your mm-hmm. movie? If I love something, if I really, if I'm going to see it already, then I don't watch trailers. I'm very anti-trailers. But off the top of my head, whatever whatever trailers I saw, they're so amazing that I don't remember them. There was none that I'm just like, oh my god, yes. Also, I think that I think Hollywood needs to not completely divest themselves, but they gotta get an idea. You can't like you're doing. I love superhero movies. I love all of it. You don't need to do thirty a year. It's it's okay. Right. We get it. We love Batman and our recipes, uh, Iron Man, and <laughs> anyway, yeah. So I don't have anything uh, coming up movie wise. Other than okay. that, I'm just going. I'm going to enjoy my summer and chillax. And uh, we're doing a, a child going to college. That's happening. Mm. That's the thing. Yeah, the 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 last one. There and, you go. Uh, the boy, the boy goes off to uh, to take on the world and excited and uh, made, made peace with everything as best I can. And I, I tell everyone the cliche of uh, it does go, it goes way too fast. It goes way too fast. It really does. So yeah. don't waste your time working when you can be home and chillaxing with family. So that's all I have. And we have huge things coming up again. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, love, no weird picks. Email us at Sean Esquire. DocLawPodcast at gmail.com. Awesome. We are also on the site formerly known as Twitter, now known as X. Mm-hmm. At DocLawPodcast. There we go. Awesome. Sean Esquire, you have an amazing week. I you love too. seeing you all the time. Your beautiful face. I love Thank hearing you. your beautiful voice. My chest hair. And it's, I mean, that is, get a, get a handle on that. You don't want to <laughs> get on that train. Maybe, maybe a razor. And we love all of you. Thank you for listening. Thank you, new friends. Please tell your friends. We have a website thing now. We're really, we're really on it. Kicking and, it up uh, a notch. We love you. We, we stay on top of all of the real story and delicious beer talk. You're not going to get that anywhere else. Jenna Squire, I love seeing you. You're the best. Maybe, maybe the chest here, just take it off a notch. <laughs> and we will talk to you guys very soon hopefully the next week yes i'm gonna shoot for that okay good deal all right everyone i love you i love you sean esquire we will talk to you very soon night